Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. As of 12.01 p.m., right now on Tuesday afternoon, Jonathan Taylor is heading to injured reserve and the Colts somehow still have a chance to make the playoffs. I don't know about that one, though. Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. Jimmy, what was the Rakestraw way yesterday? It's like the yellow brick road. It's like you have to win out, the Titans have to lose out, and the Jaguars have to... Do they also have to lose out, they right? have to lose out completely. So the Colts have to win the final three. Yeah. The Titans have to lose their next two. The Jaguars have to lose their next two. And then the Jaguars need to defeat the Titans in week, whatever that is, 18. That's possible, actually, though. That's possible now that the Jaguars... Might be making a run for the AFC South, but it is official. Jonathan Taylor heads to injured reserve, season-ending injured reserve. The Colts are going to elevate Jordan Wilkins to the 53-man roster, which means you're going to be seeing a whole lot of committee, Jimmy, Deion Jackson, Zach Moss, and Jordan Wilkins. No more JT in 2022 or 2023 in January. For it's over for, for for the best. Ultimately, look, JT. This isn't a like career altering like injury for him. This is just this is the end of the season. Put him on IR. There's no reason to put him out there. Do I think? I mean, high ankle sprains are, are tough to for any player to come back from, regardless of what time of the year it is. Like it, it takes a little bit of time. It's variable from athlete to athlete. But when you see injuries like that, usually, you know, depending on the recovery time, two to three weeks can be smaller than that sometimes too but there's no reason for him to be playing in any of these games the rest of the season and look if you're a Colts fan that is in a boat of yeah this stinks we're not used to this type of losing we're not used to this always being in the conversation of either just missing the playoffs or now in this case being in the driver's seat for a top five pick I I understand where you're coming from if you want to go enjoy the blue out all the festivities you know Still a good party whenever you're on Georgia Street, whenever you're getting ready for a Colts kickoff from Monday Night Football next weekend, but it will have to be done under the umbrella that you know, Jonathan Taylor is just another point in the direction of this season is done like we mentioned, and you wish you could just super sim these final three weeks of the regular season, but you can't. you got to play them, you got to endure it, and then in the meantime, you can wish for Santa to bring you the number one pick, even though you're not going to get the number one pick because the Texans, but you know what I mean, BK. I'm dreaming of the number one overall pick, Jimmy. Yeah, forget a white Christmas. I don't need no. that. Just like the ones I used to know. <laughs> uh, we, we were saying that in studio before the show started. Not not the 2012 one, though, right, Eddie? Not, not, I'm talking about the the other one. The other uh, one? I, I'm dreaming of the number one overall pick. No, I, I mean, look, it, it's going to be interesting on Monday because the Chargers are still actually trying to win something. And Chargers the Col- are still very much alive in the playoffs. The Colts race. are trying to play spoiler. The Chargers have been up and down all year. Now Keenan Allen is back. The wide receiver core is finally healthy. Austin Eckler is an absolute stud. I wish Justin Herbert was in a Colts uniform. But, I mean, this is 
Jimmy, probably Brandon Staley's last stand. If the Chargers miss the playoffs, that guy's probably in trouble. So the Chargers truly do have something to play for on Monday. I just don't know if the Colts can rile themselves up enough to actually compete on Monday because this is, again, going to be the first time they take stage since, you know, peeing down their leg and giving up the biggest comeback in NFL history. There are multiple times if you know that you root for a team that's bad. Right, like you know that feeling when your team is... I love playing it, spoiler. It's kind of fun. It's a fun ride to be a part of, no doubt. But there are times when your team is bad over the course of the season where you know deep down we're not going anywhere. If we make the playoffs somehow, we would just be a team that is there for a game, worsened our draft pick status, and we're going home after one weekend. That's great. Well, what did we really achieve? Well, we made the playoffs. That's awesome. And if you're a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in so long... Or if you're like the Lions, for instance, and you finally win a playoff game for the first time in like 30 years, then yeah, that's an accomplishment. That's a real accomplishment. When you're a team that's been there to the Super Bowl the last 20 years, when you've won a Super Bowl the last 20 years, and now here you are rock bottom, it's a tough mentality to accept. But I said this last week, and there's a difference between what a Colts fan should root for and what the front office and the players that are fighting for jobs are going to do. The front office and the players are going to fight to win. They're going to fight to play spoiler. I hope they do that. I hope they show way more energy than they did against the Vikings. They close out. They get a W. That would be great for them. And hopefully it leads to maybe this guy could be a part of something for us in the future. Or a player gets life-changing money from another team and helps his family out. Love to see that. Love those stories. If I'm a Colts fan, I don't want to see the spoiler roll. This is We're draft status now, baby. That's where we're at. We are Tank getting closer. Tank like, Commander yes, Jeff Saturday. Yes, yes. Le- Jeff Saturday, lead us in to the brink. Lead us through to the promised land, which is a top five pick. I, I don't want to see. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to see a Colts victory the rest of the way. I don't think they're going to win this game. Their offense has shown time and time again. They do not have the ability, except once in a blue moon, to put up more than about 17 points a game. They've... Been able to and get, the once in a blue moon was last week. And it wasn't even because of the offense. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it had nothing right. to do with them. Yeah. This Chargers team is a, a sharp offensive team. For all the criticism Staley gets for being a new age coach or being a coach that, that maybe follows the analytics too closely or is too aggressive sometimes, you were right about that, BK, that the Chargers were a team much like the Broncos and much like the Raiders that were supposed to win the AFC West this year. They're supposed to be a changing of the guard. It didn't happen. That's an X on them. And then if you miss the playoffs again, if you're the Chargers, yes, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they thought about parting ways with Brandon Staley this offseason. So what matters way more for the Chargers, not really interested in seeing the spoiler roll. Don't think the Colts have the capability to beat this Chargers team. At this point, I'm wanting to see young players, want to see how they look, and I live with the results, whatever happens. We'll talk about young players in a second. Do you truly believe this is rock bottom? We were talking a couple of months ago when they, I can't remember which loss it was, but I'm going to guess it was New England. It was, and it was, it, it was, it has that, it was that rock bottom. It's got to be rock bottom. It, it was, it was the Frank Reich firing followed by Jeff Saturday's hiring. Is this rock bottom for the team? And my prevailing thought then was no, it can always get worse. After last week, no, I don't think it can get worse because you just gave up the biggest lead in NFL history. Like this team, we can talk all we want. It's a regular season game. It doesn't matter. It's just one game. Do you know how often year round or in historical settings they show 
the Frank Reich and the 92 Bills comeback, all the time. Like this, that is forever going to surround this franchise and be a part of their legacy. It's not to say they can't override it with other happy memories, but that is a that is a cor- not cornerstone, but that is a foundational chapter now of the Colts as a team. So, do I think it's going to get that low again? No, I don't. I don't think there's a way to do that because this team hasn't shown their cable week over week of having big leads, let alone holding them. So, yes, I think this is rock bottom by that definition. Unless you're a Colts fan that still has optimism, they finish the year with three straight wins, then yes, it can't get worse for you because I don't see that happening. Maybe the Texans game. The Texans game is your one last shot, which at that point, tie. if you're a Colts fan, yes, we want Start the tie. Start the year with a tie, and the year with a tie. You, you and I both want the tie. I would love the bookend ties. <laughs> Nothing would make me happier than that. Zero, zilch, nada. I would be thrilled with a tie. But if you're a Colts fan and we simulate to that point of the season, and let's say they've lost the last, so it'd be what? I don't know how many lost in a row that'd be. Three, four straight losses at that point. If you are a Colts fan going into that, that Texans game that's still rooting for a win, I, I can't help you. Can't do anything for you. Because at that point, there's legitimately nothing to play for. You would, in fact, want the Texans to beat you in theory, even though, barring the Texans winning three games in a row, it's not going to have consequence, right? You're going to be trading for draft pick status. The Texans pretty much have the number one pick locked. Well, you know what I just thought of, though? Uh, pending a miraculous turnaround, you know, January 8th, I believe that's the day of the game, January 8th, it could end up being a battle for quarterback positioning. I don't think it'll be the battle for the first-round pick, as you just said, Jimmy, but it could be the battle for who gets who. Right. Right? I don't know. We don't know yet who the Texans truly like. Eddie, I think you pointed out before the show, or maybe it was Jimmy, regardless, it was Will Levis is now... Mel Kuyper's number one rated On quarterback? Board, yep. Okay, yep. so, I mean, the guy's obviously got monster hands, so that's got to be the reason why. <laughs> but who knows who likes who? The Texans might be leaning towards a Levis because they, you know, maybe they don't want a Bryce Young. Maybe they don't want a C.J. Stroud that's more dual threat. Maybe they want just an air cannon guy like Levis. Maybe I truly think a guy like Bryce Young would thrive in a Colts offense. You pair him with a JT, and then you get another weapon to help Pittman out because I've always thought of Michael Pittman as a very, very good number two. Um, if, if you're able to track down somebody that truly can go play a number one wide receiver role and you also are able to snag a Bryce Young type player, whether that's Young, Stroud, or Richardson, you're in business. Jimmy, back to the playing young guys, though. We have gotten no indication during Jeff Saturday's tenure that he's going to go away from Matt Ryan because as he should, and like any head coach should, if you go up to the podium to say that you're going to purposely tank, you're probably not going to get a job elsewhere as a head coach your job as a head coach is to go win we all know what the Colts want to do we all know where the Colts want to be we all know what the Colts want to draft if you're Jeff Saturday you can't go up there and be like yeah you know we're gonna we're gonna shy away from what I think is gonna give us the best chance to win that's just not a factor but should Sam Ellinger be playing yes should Mike Strong be on the field more yes should Isaiah Rogers always play over Brandon Faison absolutely do I want to see Rodney Thomas in there absolutely I want to see everybody in there that gives this team a chance to win in the future because, as I said yesterday, Jimmy, Jeff Saturday uh, is here. In my mind, initially, he was because Jim Irsay did not trust anybody in the locker room, and he brought along somebody he trusted. Now, has Saturday worked out? No. He won his first game. It was cute. Since then, it's been a disaster. Irsay's got to bring every single coach, player, staff member in his office one by one, 
Figure out if they're a winner or a loser. If they're a winner, think about keeping them around. If they're a loser, send them to the curb. That's how it must be done when you're in times of desperation. You must get selfish. Jim Ursay, I don't think has ever been a selfish guy. He's actually probably one of the most he's probably one of the more selfless people in the National Football League. I think that's fair to say. The guy hands out one hundred dollar bills at training camp to people because he cares about people and he wants to help the community. He wants to be a good owner. He doesn't want to live in the shadow maybe of his dad. He definitely does not want to live in the shadow of some bad owners in this league. That's already been covered this year. You know who they are. But if you're Jim Ursay, this is the time, Jimmy, to be selfish. I don't want him to be selfless. I want him to be selfish. I want him to have the people in this room that he only trusts and there's no more bull crap. Well, you're the baseball guy. I'd say so. You know about the Phantom IL. It's yeah. a real thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Pitcher's not doing great. Need to get him a little bit of time. Phantom. Phantom IL. Phantom. See ya. Waiting for that report from Matt Ryan. Waiting for the ankle not feeling well in a media session. Because you're right, BK. From a standpoint of just Jeff, Jeff Saturday, if we're playing out the idea that a coaching, or sorry, that an NFL franchise is going to entertain the idea of Jeff Saturday being a head coach next year, which I think you and I are both in agreement that probably not a lot of them out there that are doing that outside of the one over at West 56th. You can't come out there and be like, oh yeah, we're, we're pulling Matt Ryan, we're putting Sam Ellinger, because at this point in the season, it is clear and obvious, your goal is to tank. That, that is what your objective is. So, you just need a built-in excuse. If, if that's the direction you want to go in. Now maybe, the Colts genuinely want to just ride it out with Matt Ryan. Maybe that's what Jim Irsay wants. Maybe that's what Chris Ballard wants. I, I don't know. What I do know is that, if I'm Matt Ryan, I would gladly welcome that. Because, regardless of how you and I view Matt Ryan's season and regardless of the fact that if he gets hurt it's guaranteed money his way from the Colts which clearly Jim Mercer doesn't matter to him I wouldn't want to be out there if I'm Matt Ryan I'm risking life and limb for this team that has already benched me once this year granted he was hurt I understand that but that was, it was so mishandled it was yeah, yeah. And, we, and we talked about that a little bit yesterday it was botched every way you can imagine but I, I don't have an interest in being out there right now. That's, I'm not saying that's how Matt Ryan feels, but if it's me, like I'm, I'll do my job. You put me out there, that's fine. But if you gave me the choice, hey, yeah, we want to phantom you. I don't know if that's really a thing in the NFL, but you could say an ankle injury. It's not a long leap to be like, oh yeah, he tweaked his ankle in practice. We're monitoring it, and then all of a sudden he's not playing on, like, you know, I, that, that wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, if I'm Matt Ryan, I don't have an interest in being out there. If I'm a Colts fan, I, I've seen enough of Matt Ryan. Regardless of if there's a quarterback drafted, and you and I have had this debate, and it's a debate we're going to have all offseason once we get there, of you have the young quarterback now, assuming they take one. What do you do? Is it Matt Ryan under center, and he's learning behind him? Is it somebody else? Are you just giving him the keys and letting him ride like Justin Fields? What are you doing? That's a conversation probably for later down the line. But in terms of the last couple games of the season, including the Chargers on Monday Night Football, yeah, I mean, you're you're outmatched from a defensive standpoint with what the Chargers can offer, both from their secondary as well as up front and the type of pass rush they're able to get home. And then from the offense, I mean, the reason I, I take back a little bit of what I said, the Colts have no chance, is that this secondary, all things considered, I understand that we were hard on them yesterday, and I still am because the fact you gave up that lead is inexcusable throw out the fact that they the offense didn't help them they were pretty gassed by the end of it for sure this Chargers team they have Eckler and they have Keenan Allen Mike Williams uh, James Palmer they have other weapons but 
their two main guys are Eckler and Allen. This defense has shown they're capable of handling one or two stars. I'm not saying that necessarily the Chargers would blow them out of the water if the Colts are at full health, but I'm also saying that the reality of it is the Chargers have something to fight for. The Chargers in the position the Colts wish they were in right now that they told us all year they were going to be in, which is being a playoff team, being a contender to try to fight for something, being a team that is feared in the playoffs. Not only will the Colts be there, they're not a team that's feared around the league, and the Chargers are. I, I, I wouldn't want to face the Chargers in the first round of the playoffs. Absolutely not with what Eckler can do from the backfield. I mean, Eckler is a superb pass-catching running back. But to your larger point, it's time. It's time to see youth. It's time to see what the, any players that you want to be a part of your roster next year, Matt Ryan withheld from that. I want to see him out there. I want to see what they have. I want to see how they close these final games of the season because even though as a fan you might want the Colts to lose out, to your point about toughness, and who has a winner's mentality and who is still trying to close the season strong, nothing will do that better than a losing team with players that are frustrated with the culture of the locker room right now, which is collapse after collapse after collapse these last couple of weeks. Jimmy, make it feel like training camp. Make, make these last three weeks feel like training camp. Jobs are on the line. You're not safe. None of you are safe. That's what I go into the locker room saying. I don't care who you are. You could go sign a free agent contract somewhere else. Feel free. Make this like training camp. Battles every day in practice. You want to play on Monday slash Sunday? You battle in practice. I don't care that's week, what are we, 15? Could care less. Your body's hurting a little bit? That's what you sign up for. That's what you grind away as. That's why you make millions of dollars. That's why you're a million-dollar athlete. You get paid the big bucks to grind away when it matters. And maybe the playoffs don't matter, but your career does, right? And, Jimmy, when it comes to what you brought up when when it's the quarterback position, whatever they decide, I mean, there's going to be forms of frustration. If you stick Matt Ryan around here and he's the mentor for the guy, however long it takes, it's probably going to take Jimmy three weeks or less before a fan base is wanting to play the young kid. Now, Tannehill has been serviceable enough in Tennessee, and Malik Willis has been a mysterious quarterback enough that they're not begging for that there. In Green Bay, they're not because they love Aaron Rodgers to death, and Jordan Love, the stints that we have seen him in games, he's been pretty average. Here... If you get a top five QB, let's call it a CJ Stroud, hypothetically. If you get a CJ Stroud, it's clear that he can play in college, but those first few preseason games, probably from a public mentality, are really going to dictate what happens. Because, say, CJ Stroud comes here and he balls out in the preseason. Well, you probably still got to start Ryan, right? It would take three weeks or less if Ryan gets the amount of support he has right now, and then plays just as he has before the fan base would go crazy. Let's flip it aside, though. Let's say Stroud balls out in the preseason. Whoever the coach is, like, you know what? You're in. You're in. Well, we just saw Justin Fields for about a year straight get absolutely destroyed, risking injury. I could not believe that that team put him out there. But that's how it works in the NFL. You would have to deal. This is, I mean, 
Peyton Manning, okay, he sets the interception record for a rookie, but at least the Colts protected him, okay? If you don't protect a young quarterback, that's your one-way ticket out of the league, Jimmy, or that's your one-way ticket to retire at 26. And that can't happen again around here. And to your point on top of that, and I'm not saying this is going to happen with Fields, but when you go about the quarterback position, particularly when it's a young drafted asset, you need to be careful with how you ease them along or how you bring them in. Because it could go very wrong. Not just the fact that you get hurt, BK, but you're going to develop tendencies as a rookie. You're going to develop not just the mentality of the position, but tendencies of how you react to certain situations. Yes. And that is why you and I have kind of stressed yesterday, I'm not saying to go take... Uh, Paris Johnson out of Ohio State. I'm not like I. I want a quarterback. I want the Colts to take quarterback. If I'm a Colts fan, I I want the shiny new toy. I get that. But I'm looking at the rest of this draft for what it offers at left tackle and where I can shore up my offensive line. Because even though Fields has had his moments, at some point the Bears are going to be like, okay, even though he's a mobile guy, we want to front up our offensive line. Want to make sure he's protected as possible. Do you want to bail on an empty pockets all the time? Do you want him paranoid and running for his life and making bad decisions because of that? Because those are real things that happen with young quarterbacks. We talk about all the time, like people want to point to Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or even Tom Brady as like guys that they were blessed with the position they landed in because they found great organizations. They were drafted by organizations that, I mean, Brady's unique, so it's more or less Josh Allen and, and Mahomes, but they were patient with them to a point that you didn't have to worry about bad tendencies happening because it was a good coaching staff there. It was a good quarterback room. You had a head coach in um, Andy Reid on the Kansas City side that has been well-known with molding quarterbacks into strong foundational leaders and also successful players on the field. So whoever this next coach is, regardless of what that decision is, it is imperative to have a good foundation for them because I'm not saying Fields isn't going to be great. I'm not saying I don't have fun watching Justin Fields. I'm very intrigued what Fields looked like as a quarterback next year when they have established more protection for him along that O-line. Yes, Eddie? I'd like to make the argument to what we were talking about yesterday with Wentz versus Ryan. I honestly think the offensive line last year was better with Wentz than comparison to Ryan for two reasons here. One, Wentz could move that pocket. So it's not always in just one stationary spot. Ryan, you can't do anything like you can't do stretch runs because he's not quick enough to get out there. You can't move the pocket with bootlegs and play action passes. Whereas with some of these mobile quarterbacks coming into the draft, you can do that. So I think that Colts offensive line would perform better in that situation if they had a quarterback where the defensive ends know they have to account for his mobility and they have to contain on the outside versus being able to just go straight after Matt Ryan. And I think that's where the Colts offensive line has struggled the most is because defenses don't have to account for Matt Ryan's legs. That is fair. I don't disagree with that, but in a perfect world, you want balance. And I don't want a quarterback that's scrambling every time. I want a quarterback that can do both, like Josh Allen, like Patrick Mahomes. And in that same vein, the flaws in the O-line still remain the same. You can do patchwork for a little bit, meaning you don't have to fix it right away, but it's still something that needs to be on your radar over the next two or three drafts because that's something Colts fans need to understand too. We talk all the time about culture and we talk all about championship expectations and the fact that for so long the Colts were viewed as a contender and a true threat to go win a Lombardi trophy. If you're not 
coming to terms with it yet, Colts fans, over the last five seasons. You need to now, in this next era, that it's not going to be instant contention for Super Bowls. Even if you get C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young in this draft, it is not going to be an instant, we're back in the running, even for the AFC South. The Jaguars are still a step ahead of you. The Titans, for the time being, are still a step ahead of you. This is going to be, even unless C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young is a, even Jalen Hurts had had a one-year, you know, He's not a rookie. Jalen Hurts even had a one-year step where he was good, but then he took a leap to greatness this year. You're looking at at least another year of meh play unless the quarterback you draft is the greatest of all time. Jimmy, I'll say this before we go to break. Remember we were talking about a couple days ago, word spreads quickly in this league? Word spreads quickly when it comes to reputations, but especially reputations about quarterbacks. The Chicago Bears, for as long as I have known them and for as long as I've called that my hometown, have been known as the organization where rookie quarterbacks go to die. The Colts are quickly becoming a reputation of where old quarterbacks go to die and where it just doesn't work for free agents. Retirement home, baby. Right? Uh, A team like the Chiefs, your Chiefs, are quickly becoming known as, look, they did things right. And the problem with a lot of those reputation-type deals is it takes one guy to screw everything up. Yep. For the Colts, it's taken three or four. For the Bears, they screw up Mitch, and everybody now thinks they're going to screw up Justin. So reputation flies quickly in the NFL. Be careful what you wish for when it comes to developing that because it's a long, slippery slope. Coming up next, Peter Hood is going to join us. From Wish TV, good one today. Casey Vallier from the Colts at 1. Nick Friedel, national NBA reporter from ESPN, will be with us at about 1.30. He covers the Brooklyn Nets, but he does a good job of covering lead wide. Nick appears often on SportsCenter, so he can talk some Indiana Pacers as well. Pacers and the Nets have had some interesting times this year, haven't they? Nick will get on a Nets practice at about 1.15. We hope to have him at 1.30, maybe 2.30. Mike Chappell with us at 2 o'clock. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. Nick Cotton Jim is here at as well a 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to The Fan. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King coming to you from the drivehubert.com studios. Before we get to our next guest, for those of you concerned about Big Ten news, Brett Bielema signed to a new six-year deal through 2028 at Illinois, guiding the team to their highest win total since 2007. Well, I and I say that's worthy of a new contract. So if you happen to be an Illinois fan or it's a Big Ten fan in general, there is your news of the day. If you're still in the land of the Colts and you're hoping and praying for not a draft pick. No, 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 sir. You're not praying for a draft pick. What? What is this? What do we we give up and we're losers around here? No, there's still a path, baby. Eddie referenced it. Okay, Eddie talked about it yesterday. Greg Rakestraw gave it to us. And now the NFL on CBS reminds us the 491 Colts can still make the playoffs by winning out, by the Titans losing out, and the Jaguars losing two of their next three. That would be the Jets and the Texans. Has to be those games. And they beat the Titans. So if all that happens and me and BK hit the Powerball, and our next guest also hits a 10-leg parlay, the great Peter Hood of all Indiana bets of Wish TV, then it's going to be a great Christmas, Peter, because the Colts still have a hope for a playoff spot under the tree. How do you feel about that, Peter? 
I'm looking right now on footballoutsiders.com, that exact scenario that you just described mm-hmm. to me. They give it a 0.2% chance of happening. So I'm trying to think of what the uh, what the odds would be with that implied probability. Probably like plus plus twenty thousand, right? Plus, I mean, it, it'd have to be something insane. That'd be a nice little. I mean, throw five bucks on it. Why not win uh, win five thousand? Why not? You talk about Christmas bonuses, BK. I mean, that's come on, man. Where, where, where are you going to find that kind of value? Peter, you're telling <laughs> me there's a chance. You're there's a chance. T- <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable. I mean. You know what would be very Colts, Scott? It would be very Colts to win out and not have any of those wins matter. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Jimmy? Yes. It would be quintessential Colts for just a three-game win out, and then the Titans do the same, and the Jaguars go 2-1. and one. Peter, while we have you, I, I want to dive into where you're at in terms of the tank versus uh, you know, 0.002% chance in a second. But I know that you and Charlie Clifford – uh, cover the Colts tremendously I with your Who's Got Next, Next podcast and just in general, uh, the coverage you guys have following the team. I know that Charlie was out there in Minnesota. I'm sure you've talked to him between now and then. I, I understand you were very happy about your Ball State Cardinals getting a win in the Indy Classic. Tip of the cap to them. Chirp, chirp, all that. But in terms of the Colts coverage and that meltdown, uh, where did that register on your scale in terms of this season as a whole for what it's been like for the folks of Indianapolis? Did the Colts play on Saturday? I didn't hear. Was there was there was there a <laughs> there game was. that happened? Believe it or, or not, there was, was a game. Yep, yep. I was yeah, you're right. I was watching the uh, the Ball State Cardinals and the Purdue Boilermakers at at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Both won. Me and my dad were there. It was a great day. Uh, no, as far as the as far as the Colts are concerned, I think what's sad is, and uh, and my buddy Jason Hammer uh, pointed this out on our on our All Indiana Bet show on Wish TV. Watch us on Saturdays, 11 a.m. Sundays at noon. Uh, I wouldn't be allowed back in the offense. Uh, the office of tomorrow if I didn't get that shameless plug. But um, he he pointed it out. I think on our show on on Sunday in the aftermath, it's kind of sad to think about. This might not even be the low point of the season. Like like normally, if, if you had said at the beginning of the season, "Hey, the Colts are going to be in Minnesota the week before Christmas, and they're going to blow a thirty-three nothing lead, and it's going to be the largest comeback in NFL history," you would think, "Well, that's that's obviously the low point." But it's it's you could make a case that it's not right when you think about the putrid offensive performance uh, against the Patriots, quite literally the worst offensive performance we've seen in nearly 50 years uh, from the Colts, the worst offensive performance they've had during their time here in Indianapolis, uh, which obviously ended up getting Frank Reich fired. You think about week two against the Jags and just the horrendous performance they put forward there. Um, the, 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 the terrible fourth quarter against the Cowboys where they got outscored 33 to nothing. Guys, think about this. Over the last two games, this team in the fourth quarter, and you've probably covered this already, but it's worth repeating, has been outscored 55 to nothing in the last two fourth quarters. That's 30 minutes of football, and they've been outscored 55 to nothing in the most important moments of the game. That, that seems almost impossible um, to wrap your head around, but I think I think I, I'm in agreement with Hammer that you know as bad as as bad as Saturday was in the long run, um, it's probably going to end up helping the Colts. Obviously, from a from a draft position standpoint, at least they lost in an entertaining fashion, right? I mean, I think we're all at that point where you, you hate to say it, but you're rooting for losses and you're rooting for entertaining losses, and and you certainly check those boxes. Uh, but it, to me, it, it wasn't even the low point of the season. And I, and I think that's sad to say, but just kind of illustrates 
where the Colts are at right now from a franchise standpoint. Peter, it's Brendan. In, in your mind, what do you think Frank Reich's thinking right now after watching the last, let's call it, three weeks? You know, AC, uh, our, our sports director at Wish, did an interview with him. Um, he had, a, a, I believe, a fundraising event a couple weeks back and, and made an appearance uh, his, his first time talking publicly um, since being let go. And um, I, I think a lot of people made the observation on Twitter, and I agree. He looks good, man. Like, he looks, he looks refreshed. He looks um, happy. He looks recharged. Um, relieved, whatever word you want to use, um, I, I think that that clearly there was some internal dysfunction that went on uh, that's been documented by a lot of the people in this in this city who do a great job covering the Colts about you know maybe him being forced to play Sam Ellinger when he wasn't ready, um, and, and then obviously being forced to, to to move on from Marcus Brady, his offensive coordinator. You, you, I, I just have a hard time believing that that was his decision. Um, and I think he was he was put in a really difficult spot by by ownership here. Um, and I think as much as he probably would have liked to have finished the season out, and um, you know he's certainly a guy who has led some incredible turnarounds here before. Um, you know, you think about uh, the way they've started seasons and then being able to to turn around and, and make the playoffs. Um, I think he certainly would have liked an opportunity to do that here. But I, I think. You know, he's a smart guy. He probably saw where this thing was headed. He knew where they were at from an offensive standpoint. Um, he was kind of handcuffed with, with Matt Ryan and that offensive line. And I think part of him, a good part of him, was probably relieved um, when, uh, when he got the call. And, you know, you know, look, I think he has certainly earned an opportunity uh, to coach again in this league. This isn't one of those situations where, um, you know, it, it ended badly enough here that, that he's not going to get another opportunity. I think his overall body of work what he demonstrated uh during the four and a half years he was in indianapolis getting this team to the playoffs a couple of times um and his just his reputation around the league i think he's really well respected um i, I think he's going to have a really good chance to coach again um carolina i think is would, would make a lot of sense i think he's living in that area now um so I, I think i think frank's good man i think i think frank's probably got his feet up he's kicked back he's relaxed he's probably enjoying time with his family um, we know he's a big family guy. So, uh, and then you know, I, I think, like I said, there will be some opportunities for him come the spring or or later this winter to uh, to interview for some jobs. Peter Hood, nice enough to join us of Wish TV. You can follow him on Twitter at Peter Hood. That's at P E T A R H O D. Peter, obviously, there's a number of different reporters that are out there for media availability, but I'm, I'm going to highlight one of our own. And Kevin Bowen. Uh, he mentioned that uh, for coordinator day for the Colts, Parks Frazier says he's game planning as if Matt Ryan will be the starting quarterback against the Chargers. When you look at this team and we eliminate the idea of playoffs really being a legitimate option on the table for them, what do you want to see out of this group moving forward the rest of these three games? And does that involve Matt Ryan in any capacity for what you want to observe out of this group? Um. To be honest, I'd like him to lose whatever whatever it takes to right. do that. Uh, I think I think again that's where we're at. I mean, you hate to be you hate to be negative that way, but sure. at this point at this point, like winning winning these last couple games doesn't doesn't help you. I guess the the one guy that 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 it does help would be Jeff Saturday, right? I mean, he's still auditioning for that job, um, and, and and you know made it clear I think last week when he spoke to the media that he wants to be the long term head coach here. So you know he's still trying to win. 
Um, I, I don't think guys in that locker room have, have necessarily given up. I mean, look, they got out to a, a, a 33 nothing lead. Um, I think they clearly came out ready to, to play in that game, particularly from a, from a defensive standpoint and, you know, couldn't finish it out. But um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel as if they've quit. Um, as, far as, as far as Matt Ryan is concerned, I mean, I think if you're Jeff Saturday and, you, and you're still trying to win, which obviously he is because, again, he's trying to get this job, you, you, you've got to take at least a look at Nick Foles, right? I mean, we, we've seen it now. There's a there's – a, I, I think – I'm trying to think of how many games Matt Ryan has played. See, they've played 14 total. He was benched in two of them, 12. So there's a 12-game sample size with Matt Ryan – where we, it, it just has not worked. I mean, the Colts are, are dead last uh, in the league uh, from an offensive DVOA standpoint. They're dead last in the league from a passing DVOA standpoint. Yards per play, you can look at Matt Ryan's advanced numbers on pro football focus, the, the completion percentage above expected. Like, all of that stuff, there is a clear and there's a clear-cut consensus here across the board. The, 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 the statistics tell you, and, and our eyes tell us, that it's not working with Matt Ryan as your quarterback. It didn't work with Sam Ellinger necessarily as your quarterback either. I think he was okay in the Washington game, and then we saw how it, it looked against New England. So if you're Jeff Saturday and you're still honestly trying to put forth an effort every week where you're trying to bring home a victory, which I think he is, I think you, you've got to give Nick Foles at least a look. And it sounded like there may have been a, a short leash for Matt Ryan going into the into the game on Saturday based on some of the things that were said or, or that I heard were said on the broadcast. And then obviously the Colts get out to a 33-0 lead, so there's no reason to bench Matt Ryan. But I, I wouldn't be shocked at all um, if, if we did see Nick Foles on Monday night just because, like Charlie and I discussed on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, he's a guy who we've seen it work in small spurts throughout his career. We've seen him come in. Um, give sort of an energy boost, give some life to offenses um, that, that needed a temporary jolt. Um, and, you know, if the Colts are trying to finish the season strong here, maybe win, or, win one or two games, maybe he's a guy that, that could give you a little bit of a spark. Quite honestly, I don't think it matters. I mean, I, I think they could put Foles, Ryan, or Ellinger back there. And, and this offense is broken on a level where it doesn't really matter who the quarterback is. I think you're probably going to lose – Certainly you're going to lose to the Chargers. Good chance you lose to the Giants. And then the Texans game is probably a coin flip. So, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not sure it really matters who QB1 is. But if I were Jeff Saturday, I would, have to, I would have to give Nick Foles a shot just because we've seen it. We've seen it over 12 games with Matt Ryan. It's just not working, um, and, uh, and it's time to try something new. Peter, so Shaquille Leonard injury problems all year. This ankle thing with Jonathan Taylor has been lingering all year. I'm going to give you a hypothetical situation, but the Colts might end up being in it. If both Leonard and JT continue to struggle with injuries and that keeps them on and off the field consistently for the rest of their time with the Colts, which one is the more concerned? Well, well, right now it's Leonard because because they've already paid him. Um, at least with Jonathan Taylor, you know, if, if he were to struggle with injuries again next year, you know, you could you could you could cut ties or you could um, you know see see what's out there from a from a trade market standpoint. Shaq Leonard, man, they're locked in, right? I mean, what, what was it? Five years? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Five years, hundred million dollar contract. Um, or, or close to it uh, for Shaq. I mean, 
you're you're not you're not getting out of that thing um, anytime soon. And um, you know, so so that that to me, just because of where they're at contractually with both players, uh, would be the bigger concern. And I think Taylor, look, he's had a nagging kind of ankle thing all year. I, I, I you know, he's he's been able to to play through it a little bit. It doesn't seem with him like that's going to be. Um, a long-term issue, at least you hope not. Leonard, man, when, whenever you're dealing with, with nerve and nerve regeneration and, you know, back issues and, you know, the way he plays the game, um, he's already undersized as it is. I, I, th- I think there's a, there's a l- real legitimate reason um, for, for concern, just given what the injury is and, and what he's going to have to do to, to try to get back and what you're already paying him. So I, I, think, I think that, to me, um, is a is a clear cut case of you're 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 more concerned about Leonard at this point than you are Taylor. Peter Hood of Wish TV, nice enough to take some time with us. Peter, always appreciate your work. Uh, I mentioned as you, you know, kind of gave your shout out already. All Indiana bets, where we can find your work, helping out with Jason Hammer and company, and of course all your work on Wish TV uh, with the great Charlie Clifford. Anything else you wanted to plug? No, no, you, you covered it all there. I appreciate, uh, of course, watch the Colts Monday Night Football on Wish TV. It'll, uh, yep. it'll air locally on, uh, on Channel 8. I'm a little disappointed that we've got the, the radio voice of the South Bend Cubs on the air, and I, I didn't get asked about my Fort Wayne 10 caps. What's going on, Brendan? <laughs> baseball, baseball season's only a couple months away, my man. Let's go. Well, I did not expect <laughs> to get roasted today, but I will say, Peter, that Parkview Field is truly, and this is all respect to the South Bend Cubs at Four Winds Field, there is not a minor league ballpark, and I know we have one here in this town that's terrific, but there is not a minor league ballpark like Parkview Field, I can tell you like that. No, you're right. You're right. I'm extremely biased as well, having lived up there and covered the team for four and a half years, but uh, Mike Noder and his staff up there do a great job. South Bend's great too, though. uh, I've always enjoyed uh, going to cover the – the Tin Caps when they played up in South Bend, and and I know my my colleague Justin Prince would echo the same thing. But well, I'll tell yeah. you what, I'll tell you what, when you uh, when we're in town playing Fort Wayne next year, jump up and you can hang in the booth. I appreciate that. Yeah, you got I appreciate it, that. And and now I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guys let me go because you're probably losing listeners by the moment as they as they listen to us talk about uh, single A minor league. No, baseball. we're the Midwest League champions, Peter. Come on now, <laughs> two and three years, you your boys got to step up. You know what? You know what? That's right. Celebrate it. Screw it. <laughs> Appreciate you, Peter. All right. See you guys. That is Peter Hood of Wish TV. Nice enough to take some time with us. We're going to step away. We come back. Some breaking news in the world of the NBA right here on The Fan. Brendan King with Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison around the horn. We got a packed studio, boys. I'm trying to fix our stream a little bit. Yeah, we appreciate it, fellas. We are on the YouTube. Coming up at one, Casey Valier. What's our out, Eddie? <laughs> We're kind of up against it right now. Do your math, Eddie. Casey Valier at one o'clock. Mike Chappell will join us at two. Two thirty now for Nick Friedel. Again, Nick, the national NBA correspondent. You see him often on Sports Center. He'll be with us at two thirty. He covers the Brooklyn Nets. And Jimmy, there are often breaking news stories about the Nets, but today, right now, it's about the Phoenix Suns, eh? Story is about the Phoenix Suns, as Matt, I apologize to him if I'm mispronouncing his last name, but Matt Ishbia, 
is finalizing a Who purchase cares what it, of he's the worth Phoenix Suns. He's I, worth $6 billion. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't care about me is. mispronouncing his yeah. name at all. Uh, but in case you're, I don't know, a, a diehard fan of the world of mortgage lending. Um, the deal is expected to be completed in the near future. Uh, this is from Adrian Wojnarowski. Quote, it would end the tumultuous tenure of owner Robert Sarva. Of course, Robert uh, announcing uh, earlier this year he was going to sell the team after the allegations of racism, misogyny, toxic culture uh, were mounted against Sarver last year. Now he's going to sign the team. Finally, an end to that tumultuous era, as Woj put it, with Ishbia coming in to buy the Suns. Uh, Woj reported a little bit later, just a couple minutes ago, purchase price in the neighborhood of $4 billion, BK. Remarkable. All right, so Matt Ishbia, who played for Tom Izzo at Michigan State, I just Googled Matt Ishbia, Michigan State. There is a YouTube video, and the title of the YouTube video is the GWOAT. Matt Ishbia, the greatest walk-on of all time. Yes. He, he won a national championship with the Spartans. Got that ring. He got that ring. Well, he's about to probably get another one. I mean, if he leads the Suns to the promised land. Uh, I guess Ishbia, yeah, Izzo started him. Izzo started him in a game his senior year. Yep. He started his last ever game. Wow, look at skinny Tom Izzo here. That's something to see. <laughs> uh, he started his last ever game against Iowa. And let's see, he's coming around to screen. That's a long two. Foot was on the line, missed the shot. This guy just ran. I'm this video. This guy just took shot after shot. I love it when man. he was in, and now he just bought the Suns for you said four billion dollars around the neighborhood of four billion. All right, so Wojnowski there's this random. This guy no, looks no taller than five foot six. He just made a three, by the way. Uh, he looks no taller than five foot six. He was a walk on at Michigan State. You would imagine, Jimmy, you went to a Big Ten school that when you go to a social function and you see a five foot six average looking dude, I'm sure he tried to tell all kinds of people, "Hey, I'm going to be something someday." Imagine being the girl that rejected Matt Ishbia. And he is now worth $5.5 billion and the owner of the Phoenix Suns. Hey, you remember me from college? Hey, hey, what's up? I'm that girl that uh, rejected you? Yeah. Yeah, hey, I didn't want to dance with you at uh, at the barn dance. Just wanted uh, to know if you're seeing anybody. You never know. You never know where, hey, where hey, life's uh, can I get some tickets? Can, can I move to the, de- to the desert with you? Can I get some tickets, <laughs> No, please? see, that is honestly the greatest flex of all time, possibly. Being some <laughs> average... Walk on in a Big Ten school and being short, probably getting rejected often, and then being worth six billion dollars. That is quite impressive, Jimmy. Yeah, that's uh, it's as, as good as it gets. BK, I, I, I that's all I can add there. Uh, he's gonna have he has money to spend. If you're a Suns fan, I am thrilled about the idea of uh, another owner with pockets ready to try to bring a championship to Phoenix. All here for it. Happy for him. I mean, if this guy is as good of a person as he looks, everything I read about him, you can't find a bad article on this dude. I mean, he donated $32 million to Michigan State last year, another $14 million to help football. Oh, my God. He gave 14 Listen to this. He gave $14 million of Mel Tucker's $95 million. Really? 14 of the 95 wow. was from this guy, Matt Ishbia. I, I mean, CEO and president of United Wholesale Mortgage took over for his father in 2013. I mean, this is the type of guy that helped fire, fire Archie Miller. If you're, <laughs> yeah. if you're at IU, <laughs> truly. Hey, it, it, regardless of what you're doing 
uh, in high, high up roles like that. Uh, all jokes aside about coaching hires and whatnot, uh, did, clearly philanthropic part of his background. Uh, gave a million dollars that same year to the V Foundation. So yeah, I mean, a, cool. a good, good, good background information on what he's done uh, in terms of his philanthropy work, and then in terms of just being a Suns fan and having a new era of ownership once that gets finalized. Uh, we're joking. I know net worth doesn't necessarily always equal how much money you have, but if it did, BK still got one point five billion to spare uh, for player salaries and whatnot for the Suns. Yeah, I don't think we understand that enough. You <laughs> no, just we have don't. an extra one point five billion. Yeah, yeah, we don't. Uh, we don't BK, know. Jay Cook, Eddie Garrison around the horn. Casey Valier from the Colts joins us when we come back again. Nick Friedel at two thirty. It'll be perfect to ask Nick, national NBA reporter for ESPN, about the sale of the Suns. He also directly covers the Brooklyn Nets, national correspondent for ESPN. Mike Chappell with us at 2 o'clock. A lot of Colts chatter today. We may have some time at about 1.30 for your phone calls a little bit later on. We'll come back next with Casey Valier on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to The Fan. Alongside Brendan King, I am Jimmy Cook. Happy Tuesday to you wherever you are listening. Peter Hood joined us bottom of last hour. Talk a little bit about the Colts from the local coverage perspective and the direction that they're headed. We now head over to West 56th Street's coverage of the Colts, the, the internal action, the internal side of things. One of our favorite guests, Casey Avalier, the radio coordinator and in-game host here on 93.5107.5, the fan of the Colts radio network. You can follow him on Twitter at Colts. Casey, I hate to do this, but Eddie played the rejoiner song, not me. If life is a highway, this car wrecked uh, somewhere uh, on the <laughs> on the trip up to Minnesota and then some. Uh, I'm glad you I know you were here, so you weren't a part of that uh, wreck. But uh, from afar, yeah. your observations from the uh, greatest comeback in NFL history. Uh, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, thanks for having me guys. No problem, um, and I love the, the tee up question you just gave me. I, I think it's shock. I mean, to be completely honest, um, you go on a halftime up 33, nothing. And I, and I do the halftime show and it was, I mean, everything you would expect. It's, it's all Colts, you know, you're, you're looking at the box score. You're trying to find what the storyline is on, you know, where the second half is going to go. And, and all you could look at is that, the Colts dominated every I mean, every phase of the game, and the only thing that I looked at that the Colts could have done better was instead of settling for field goals, you know, trying to put those in as touchdowns. But besides that, you thought, wow, the second half is going to be, if it's even a fraction of what the first half is like, you're walking out of Minnesota, and they're, they're having to go another week to win the division, and then all of a sudden you end up where you are. It was absolute shock. I mean, there was no other words to describe it. I was, I was pretty blown away and speechless. Listen, yeah, it was it was wild. Casey, it's BK. Hope you're enjoying the holidays with the family. Uh, is there something in terms of crunch time, fourth quarter, dramatic moments for for this team that just has not clicked to you this year, or is it something else? You know, it, 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 there's definitely something to be said there. I mean, if you look at, you know, you look at the way this team has closed, you look at the, you know, the one score games, you know, flip it to Minnesota. I mean, that was their, their 10th, their 10 and 0 in one score games. And when you look at playoff teams, that's where it comes down to. Um, and the Colts have been in a lot of one score games 
and they just have been on the wrong side of a lot of them. So, yeah, that comes down to crunch time. That comes down to what you're doing execution-wise. But there's just so many, so many mistakes in a game that I'm a big proponent in momentum, and that's what it seems like. It seems like the Colts have had a lot of momentum early in games, but then when you flip it to, you know, the latter half, that momentum has kind of shifted, and it's hard to shift that back in the right direction. So I think that's what it is. It's kind of a, a cumulative thing that throughout the course of the game, the momentum just kind of goes up and down, and it's going down at the wrong times. Casey, the news coming out today: the Colts are putting John Taylor on injured reserve. It ends a you know a disappointing campaign on his front. It obviously it kind of signalizes not just the end of his season, but just anywhere you want to go with this being a little bit of a letdown year for him. But also accepting the fact that the line, as it failed a number of different people this year, let him down in some areas. Uh, what will your takeaways be from this season? for JT and where do you expect the biggest improvement or the biggest focus for him to be this off season? Uh, it's a, I mean, definitely a disappointment. I mean, you look at a guy who, I mean, everybody was thinking maybe this year he could run for 2000 yards, right? You know, maybe the, I mean, that was, that was where it was. And everybody was talking about, you know, if, if Jonathan Taylor runs for, you know, 12 to 1400 yards, that's a success because they're balanced and all of this. And it just never, it never accumulated to what you wanted. I mean, he starts the year off with 161 yards against Houston and finishes the year with 861. So if you do the math, that's just 600 yards from week two on. And that right there just isn't getting it done. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's tough because we just heard from we just heard from the coordinators and Parks Frazier talked about how, you know, not only is it frustrating for Jonathan, it's frustrating for everybody because it's one of those things that you know the talent, you know it's all there, and you know they all want to do their part to get him these, you know, these spots where I mean, he this guy is electric. You want to get him rolling, and when you're not able to to get that all happening, everybody takes blame. Everybody feels bad for it so it's it's one of those things that i'm sure there's going to be a conscious effort to try to figure out hey what do we have to do next year to make sure that he is the most pivotal part of this offense because that's what he was last year now i know you were on the outside looking in last year but you had so many opportunities with what he did to get you to where you wanted to be casey with the opportunity now at running back for specifically three guys Deion jackson zach moss and then jordan wilkins coming up from the practice squad can you kind of compare and contrast those guys and the chances they have sort of to speak a, to make a name for themselves because Deion jackson right is kind of risen from a special teams type of guy we've seen his ability to catch passes out of the backfield this year zach moss came over in the trade for hein from buffalo he's trying to get his career on track he's still only 25 and then really it's a second chance at life almost casey for jordan wilkins after he played a yeah. lot with philip rivers and now came back to this organization so can you just compare and contrast the opportunities that all three of those guys have for themselves now yeah, I think I think all three of them offer you a little different. Um, they they all have you know different traits that you know can can give you different uh, you know offensive opportunities with with a guy like Deion Jackson. As you mentioned, he is that kind of pass catching back. You saw what he did in Denver um, the, the the first time um, this season that he had more opportunity for you know a, a good bulk of the carries. And he's a guy that this team targeted. I mean, they they went after him last year. He had a really good training camp, and then this year. He beat out Philip Lindsay, who is an established running back in this league, for that third spot, along with Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines. 
And then Zach Moss, I thought what you saw on Saturday was a guy who is a downhill runner. He can kind of be, you know, a little bit more of your power back. Um, and I thought he looked pretty good on Saturday. He had a lot of carries. I know when you look at the yards per carry and the amount that he had, it wasn't great. But I think what he offered, he he gave you that stability that you can give this guy 20-plus carries and he's going to be able to move the football. And then for Jordan Wilkins, uh, you know, the, Jordan Wilkins has always been one of those guys I've never really understood his career in the NFL because I want to say he's averaging about four and a half yards per carry. Right. It seems like anytime he gets the football, he he has the ability to make a play. Um, so that is something that I'm anxious to see him get that opportunity because he seems to be a guy that kind of answers the bell anytime it's it, he's asked. Um, so I'm I'm really excited for Jordan. I was really excited when he came back because he was one of those guys in the locker room, always with a big smile on his face, always willing to talk, just a really, really good guy. Um, so we were all really excited to get him back and just kind of get him, his NFL career, maybe back, start a little jump start to it just to get another chance because he's proven that he can be a guy that, you know, he's not going to be an every down back, but he's a guy that can get the job done when you need it. Casey Vallier taking some time with us today. Buy the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline. Go to the Motor Shop and Fishers for all your residential, commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, equipment, so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered at themotorshop.com or the Motor Shop and Fishers. Casey Vallier joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at C. Vallier Colts, radio coordinator and in-game studio host for your Indianapolis Colts. Casey, when you walk around West 56th and you look at where expectations were, even as recently as a couple weeks ago, to where they are now, you and I both know that nobody's laying down. There's people still fighting for jobs, fighting for their their NFL lives, not just with the Colts, but potentially elsewhere next season. But within the front office, there has to be at least some type of, I would think, acceptance that this season, barring a miracle of all miracles, is likely over. Has that influenced anything in your mind where this team wants to observe key position spots, both on offense and defense, these final three weeks as the reality of no playoffs kind of sets in? I don't, I haven't seen anything like that yet. Um, now I'm not saying that that hasn't happened right. or we, you know, it, it's one of those things that, you know, with this week being a little bit longer because you don't play until Monday, there, there might be more questions that will start to come up later in the week when we start hearing more. We start seeing practice. The guys are off today. Um, we heard from Jeff Saturday yesterday, but we won't hear again from it. So there may be some other things that might change this week as we get a little later. Um, but as of right now, I think they're still planning status quo, go with, you know, try, trying to get a win. I don't think anybody here is going to lay down, even if they are eliminated. Right. A lot of the, I mean, these players, they, they have no idea what's, what's, what's coming up in a month. You know, they have no idea where they're going to be. So for them, they could care less if the draft pick is at four or if it's at 12 because right. they're fighting for their futures. The GM, everybody's looked at, you know, very, it's magnified right now. When you're having a rough season, everybody's getting evaluated. So you want to put the best thing forward on tape and all of that. I know the fans don't like to hear that because you're looking to get your next franchise quarterback or whatever that might be. But, that inside this building, I'm telling you, all these guys, they're they're doing everything they, everything that they can to go out and win. Now I know that hasn't really accumulated to much. I mean, they've lost a handful of games. I think it's seven of their last eight. It's been a it's been a rough stretch, but I mean, everything that we have seen is everybody is still putting their best foot forward to go out and try to figure out how to beat the Chargers this week. 
Casey, right along that same wavelength, an opportunity to play spoiler on Monday, the day after Christmas. And I know there are no moral wins in the NFL. I mean, you either win or lose. That's the biz. But the ability to play spoiler, does that give any extra juice to the team? Because you need some form of excitement after what happened in Minnesota. I would think it would have to. I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm a guy that I'm not going to say I was a, I was a gifted athlete or any of that, but you know, I, I played uh, I played baseball my entire life, and there was a little bit of that when I played. I mean, you know, it's one of those things you, you love being that underdog. You love going in and being like, "Ha, ah, look what I just did to you!" Like everybody here, you're fighting for 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 pride and all of that. And if you can go in and you can give the Chargers a loss, and all of a sudden they're having to fight and scratch for one of those final playoff spots and it's because of something that you did under the national spotlight where there's nobody else watching everybody can watch you i mean that's there's a lot to be said there um and and i know that these guys they do want to play well in front of their fans there's nothing better than a raucous lucas oil stadium cheering on a win especially under monday night lights so that's that's gotta all play into it and you play against a guy in Justin Herbert who is, you know, one of these up-and-coming top five quarterbacks in the league, I think that might, that has to give everybody up. You want to play spoiler. You want to have them scratch and claw to try to get into that final playoff spot. And if you can, you know, kind of play spoiler, that's got to get you up for sure. Casey, I'm sorry that uh, me and BK are kind of repping the old good cop, bad cop routine, as it were. But uh, in that similar vein, there's been maybe not necessarily from the Colts publicly, but there's been acknowledgement over the last five years, the lack of primetime games for this organization. And then this year they finally get primetime home games. I, I should correct that. There's this year they finally gotten a host of them over the course of the year just from a pride standpoint we talk about the fact that you know people are fighting for their jobs talk about the fact no one's going to lay down like you and bk mentioned and also the thrill of playing the role of spoiler and having something to to fight for but how much pressure is also within the colts not just this season but just from a perception standpoint of this is also another opportunity that if we don't show up we get embarrassed at home on monday night football 100%. 100%. And that that's that might be I mean ultimately one of the, the biggest factors that goes into this because you know, you, you you got two Monday night home football games this year. The first one goes to a Steelers team that you fall to. So here's your second opportunity. You want to be able to play well under these lights. You got to win on Thursday night football against the Broncos, but you lost to the Cowboys on Sunday night. You lost to the, the you know the Steelers on Monday Night Football. So here's another opportunity in front of the entire national audience watching football. It's got to be there. That's one of those things that in order to continue to get these opportunities, you have to show that you can go out and play. Now, I know a lot of it goes into your roster and all of that stuff, but it also goes into the success you have when you get those opportunities. It's it's a stat that it doesn't matter who's playing. It seems like they always have a, oh, this guy does this on Monday Night Football. So that's what it, it, it all matters. Um, and I know for a guy, like let's say Matt Ryan. I mean, this guy has been playing in the NFL for a long time. But I'm telling, I'm, I guarantee you if I asked him tomorrow, does Monday Night Football mean anything else? He would say, oh, absolutely it means more. So these guys definitely want to go out there, and definitely from a Colts franchise perspective, you want to get as many Monday Night Football games as you possibly can, and you want to go out and you want to win those games. So definitely Monday is a huge game for this franchise, for these players, for these coaches. It, it means a lot more, I think, than just the game of football on Monday, to be honest. Casey, one of the conversations over the last couple of days has been the offensive line continues to get battle-tested by some 
of the most elite pass rushers in the National Football League, and that will not change with the Chargers, obviously. So fries no. and, and Ryman, I mean, it almost feels like, Casey, a thrown-into-the-fire type of deal, and that's how some guys learn. So just your thoughts on, once again, the young guys on the offensive line not getting any breaks when it comes to who's coming at them on Monday. Now, now let's let's be honest. This is the uh, the National Football League. There are a lot of really good defensive players on every team, but it it does seem like the stretch they've had. It is you know bona fide Pro Bowl guys week in and week out. And you mentioned a guy in Bernard Ryman. I don't know if you know. There, there's a lot of people who are you know for or against PFF grades, but. Since he's taken over as left tackle, he has really, really played well for this Colts team. I know when you look at it, you know, they're still in the bottom half when it comes to sacks allowed and all of that stuff. But Bernard Ryman has really played well. So for the Colts, they're looking at him, and you got a guy in Khalil Mack that's going to be facing up. I don't know where – I haven't really watched too much of the Chargers defensively on whether or not Khalil is on one side or the other. I know – I'm not sure where the where the Bosa injury is on all of that, so that might affect things. Um, but, but he's a guy who is a perennial – just a threat in the backfield. So for a guy you mentioned, Will Fries, I'm sure he'll have to chip. He'll have to do all he can as well. Um, But, yeah, it's definitely going to be a big test. But I think to this point, Bernard Ryman has lived up to the bill. He has played very, very well. And Will Fries, since he stepped in at right guard, has he solidified that spot. And I think right now this five that you're seeing, they're really playing pretty well. They've been able to allow the running game to kind of get going. I know it's not nearly what we've seen in years past. But the running game has been better over the last handful of weeks. Um, Prior to this past game, Jonathan Taylor had a streak of five straight games with 75 yards on the ground, which was the longest active streak in the NFL. So that definitely says something. Um, But it's all about, you know, what you do for me lately. And their lately is going to be tested on Monday for sure because this Chargers team is hungry. They're looking to continue to boost their playoff position. Um, So it's definitely going to be a tested line, and we'll see how these young guys can handle it. Casey, I know this will be a better question for you in the offseason, so I'll, I'll just table it with half of this, which is that Justin Herbert, a quarterback that's drafted by the team he's playing for, you look at the AFC, almost every playoff contender in there except for Ryan Tannehill has a quarterback for a team that uh, was drafted by them. So I, yeah. I'm not going to get into that until the offseason, but I do want to shift gears to one of those quarterbacks and look at the South. Uh, you're uh, broadcast partner the great Greg Rakestraw was on with us yesterday and he kind of highlighted which I agree with him the Colts have to worry about the Colts there's nothing that they can control outside of their building need to worry about fixing their operation but you're not in the front office you don't have to worry about that when you look at the south the current state of it right now and you look at the leap the Jaguars have taken this year the fact they might actually win the south this year uh, (laughs) where, where does that put them in your mind and what does that say about the overall positioning of the Colts in the South heading into this offseason if we if we sim it out three weeks from now? It's bizarre, man. Um, it, one of the things that I, I want to say that I was talking actually with you, Jimmy, um, before the season started, and we said that Tennessee and the Colts are in a class above, uh, above definitely Tennessee and Jacksonville, but Jacksonville had used their draft capital and they had started to really show that they had some pieces and Houston is going to have a handful of picks as they over the next couple of years to kind of benefit their roster. So it was important for both Tennessee and the Colts to kind of solidify those veterans 
and also mix in the youth to continue to build their roster. And now you're you're start, you're starting to see that switch. Actually, I mean Tennessee looks like they're on a down spin. They've fired their GM. They've got all kinds of issues. I think they've lost four straight now. Who knows what's going on with the Tannehill Malik Willis as they move forward? And as you talk about with Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence has clearly looked like you know maybe he's not going to be a top five quarterback next year or the year after, but he's definitely solidified that spot for them and has that team rolling. Um, so for the Colts, it, 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 it's got to make. I don't. I don't. I don't want to say there's pressure because there's always pressure, but it definitely adds a little bit more when you look at the division and how winnable it has been. It looks like you're starting to see some of these teams kind of figure it out. So it definitely puts that pressure a little heavier to find that guy so you can solidify that part of the of the equation. Because as you know, quarterback position is the most important position probably in all of sports. So when you figure out that guy, it makes it, you can breathe a little bit. It makes everything else a little bit easier. So I'm sure for the Colts, there's a lot of questions they're going to have over the next handful of weeks and months as we lead up to the draft and finding that guy if it's in the draft or if they go you know, free agency route or if it's a guy who's here. Those questions are going to have to be asked, but it's, it's really starting to – you know, a little bit more pressure is definitely starting to be added, especially when you're seeing the rookie that Jacksonville took a couple years ago not really look like a rookie much more and look like an established guy with a Tennessee Titans team that's still – they're still fighting. So there you've got two teams that are going to be probably fighting for playoff spots for the next handful of years. You've got to be able to put yourself in that conversation as a third in this division for sure. Casey, I need your favorite Christmas movie. Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I've got I've got a couple. I mean, I love Christmas Vacation. I mean, that is that, Classic, that's a staple. Um, I also am very partial to On Christmas, watching A Christmas Story. It's one of yep. those things I grew up turning on TBS and watching the twenty four hour. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I don't know if I've actually seen the movie all the way through in over a decade, but I have seen it four or five times throughout that decade because it's on all the time. Um, it's it's tough. Like I, with the kiddos, like we watched uh, we watched Jack Frost the other day, um, and that one I remember when I was a kid. That one I always liked. But I think my favorite is probably a Santa Claus. Yes, um, great I, I answer. Can, I can I can probably recite every single line from that. Now I haven't seen the spinoff series they made this year, um, but Santa Claus for me, if you put that on, I will sit down and watch the entire movie for sure. Santa Claus 2 as well. Great one. Oh, I, yeah. I They, they kind of lost me with the uh, Jack Frost number <laughs> the Jack three. Jack Frost part. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, number three was uh, a little bit of a letdown. And maybe that's why I haven't watched the series. Because I was like, you know, one and two were good, but then you fell off. And I don't know if I want to keep going. But definitely the, the original Santa Claus... That one is uh, it's very high regard in my eyes. That's one of those that if I catch you watching it in July, I'm okay with that. You know, if you want Christmas in July, that's one I'm all right with. Do you think Home Alone's a Christmas movie? You know, I, here we go. We're going down this rabbit hole that, you know, I, I would say yes. I, I think um, so, too. That is the answer. Come agree, on, Casey. Yeah. Come on. You that know, is the answer. Yes, but, but see, I'm one of those, you know, the... I'll watch I'm it any time, though. Yeah, I'm also. It's gonna. It's gonna offend a lot of people. I'm like a. I'm not a big diehard fan. I didn't. Oh. I didn't care much for it. And and you people trying to put that as a Christmas movie. I'm like, you know, it kind of goes into the same. I don't know. I mean, I guess there is a premise around Home Alone that they're traveling for Christmas. So I get that. 
But oh, I don't know. See, I, I I go with more traditional. Like, here's legit Christmas, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. You know what else is a really good one? Christmas Chronicles on Netflix. If you got That's kids, on. that one's not too bad. You know, that one's pretty good. Casey, Merry Christmas to you. Enjoy the holidays. Uh, enjoy the you movies. And uh, thanks for making time for us as always. I know we'll talk to you here as the season goes on, as we get into the off season as well, my friend. You got it. Numbers all the phone's always ready. Merry you, Christmas, Casey. You're the best. <laughs> you guys do. That's Casey Valier of the Colts Radio Network. You can follow him at C Valier Colts, the in-game radio host as well as the radio coordinator of the Colts Radio Network. BK, a little bit of NBA action when we come back. I'm down. Ready for it? I'm down. Nick Friedel of ESPN set to join us at the bottom of the hour. 2.30. Oh, two, that's right. Sorry. But we can the talk board. NBA. You, right, we can. Well, we, can we can talk some NBA. Uh, we, we'll continue. Terrible producing. Forgot to update it on the board. It's I'm all sorry. right. I forgive you. It's okay. I, was, I wasn't going to out you, but I appreciate, I appreciate you owning that and, and wearing that badge. I, I respect you more now for that proud of you. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We come back. We'll look more at Colts Chargers as well as the news. Jonathan Taylor headed to the IR. Where else we want to see roster adjustments, roster changes, and also reflect some comments made from Parks Frazier to the media today that might give a clue to what the Colts might do at quarterback on Monday night. We'll have that for you and more after this on The Fan. You know, I just continuously think about the office CPR Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. All-time scene. Hands down. All-time. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison on Twitter at Sports at Cook at Eddie Garrison underscore. 2 o'clock, Mike Chappell's going to join us. 2.30, NBA reporter for ESPN, Nick Friedel. After, Bo- after uh, Boston Nets, after Brooklyn Nets practice. Nick will jump on. Pacers and the Nets have had some interesting times this year. Interesting time in the league right now. New owner of the Phoenix Suns, Matt Ishbia, who was on three Final Four rosters. And Michigan State with Tom Izzo won a national championship in 2000. He's worth about $6 bucks. He just paid about $4 bucks for the Suns. He also gets the Mercury, Jimmy, in the deal. My favorite tweet so far. It's not getting enough love. Uh, I'm going to say the name wrong. Gary Bogdansky on Twitter. I assume he's with Nets Daily because I follow a lot of different NBA sites. We're just going to trust a guy who spells Matt with one T <laughs> because it is spelled that way. It's M-A-T. I was going to say, I mean, you're nearly going to pay a trillion bucks someday for a team. That's where the T's going. If you'd like to join the show, we do have an opportunity for that. If you'd like, 317-239-1070. Talk some Colts. Talk whatever you'd like. After we just had Casey Vallier on. Jimmy, if there is a time to rally the troops, to just get squeeze the juice, everything you can out of this football team, and play spoiler, if you actually think there's an ounce of energy in that building, it's got to be right now. I but hope, we don't want that to happen. I hope that's how the players are thinking, because if I, I was so, in that though. front office... I would be trying to, and in this role, by the way, that I'm giving myself, it's like I'm a very like just low end role that just constantly whispering into ears. BK, I'm just trying to plant ideas. I'm trying to inception thoughts yeah, yeah, into yeah. people's mind. In that role, great movie, by the way, great movie, great Mr. Movie. Fisher. Do you trust me? <laughs> well, that's the question that we're asking to Mr. Ursay at this point: is draft stock, draft stock up? That's what we need. So yeah, if I'm in that front office, I I hope that this. 
Well, that's tough to say, right? Because Bauer's job could be on the line. So I understand the angles we're going at. The point is, draft pick good, winning and spoiler good for a, a little bit. Pat yourself on the back. Get everybody a nice little late Christmas present. But then you look in three weeks, and if that's what makes you miss out on a quarterback in this draft or a better quarterback than what you could have gotten, I just have a tough time with it. This It, it, it stinks. Look, it, it, no fan wants to be in this boat. No organization wants to be in this boat. Everybody wants to be in contention. Everybody would probably kill to be in the boat. Even the Jaguars are in right now. Yes, they think they found their franchise quarterback, but they still have playoff hope and dreams. BK, whatever happened to dreams, man? Come on. They're not here anymore. Like the blue out's going to be great. The stadium light show. Uh, everybody that works for the Colts and their entertainment staff, they do a great job there. I'm not saying it's not a great way to spend the holidays, but yeah, I hope the players show some ounce. I hope they show it. But if you're a fan or if you're observing from afar and you know how to win in this league, which is fixing the quarterback spot, uh, yeah, I'm not. My bar is not set for pom poms and circumstance for Colts Chargers. So I mentioned earlier, I think Jim Irsay is one of the most selfless people in this league based off of what he did with the Dan Snyder stuff and just you you see this guy in the community and he's handing out hundred dollar bills at training camp and he's setting a good standard he's and you know Jay Query mentions it a lot like he's just trying not to live in the shadow of his dad which uh, which is highly commendable but there everybody every single person on the planet has an ego it's just it just depends on how big it is some people have smaller ones some people have bigger ones if you're Ursay, again, everybody has an ego. Can his ego allow the Colts to tank? Because, Jimmy, you bring it up a lot, multiple Lombardis in a decade. If you want multiple Lombardis in a decade, boy, you got a long way to go right now. A long way to go right now. And Ursay has already been through times of despair, suck for luck all that time. Uh, can his ego allow the Colts to tank right now. We've talked about it before, how it's a dangerous game to try to strain in the mind of Jim Irsay because you never know what he's going to do. Like, you just don't. You don't know. It's, I'm wh- telling you, it's like the Wizard of Oz. Right. You said the that legend of the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> so, so with that same idea in this context, BK, he's also a businessman. And yes, would a playoff game probably be nice from a revenue standpoint? Sure. That's, that's, that's awesome. But additionally, he is an owner that if I'm any team in the league, just based on his willingness to go spend money, would love to have an owner like Jim Irsay at the direction of my team, particularly when we have a good foundation set up because he's going to go spend money to either keep players, to retain players, or to go get players. That's that's a perfect, ideal thought process you want out of ownership if you're a team that wants to contend because you don't want to be a team that is constantly just trying to scrape by every dime and not being willing to go out and make the acquisitions needed to push your team over the top. Jim Irsay has shown he will do that, and I think he would do that for this team if he knew it was going to put them back in that conversation of the two Lombardis, or any Lombardi for that matter. All that being said, though, as a businessman, you have to understand the state of affairs with the Indianapolis Colts. And there is no too-big-to-fail mantra here for this Colts team. I, I think he can push his ego aside because his ego's already been trounced even just the last two weeks. Uh, I don't know if that figure's still in front of me, but whatever it is, 58 to nothing or whatever the fourth quarter margins are. I think it was 59. The last, yeah. the last it's like two weeks. like 83 to 8 the last five games. So, okay, so even expand it further, the ego's already been blemished. The ego's probably going to be blemished again to an extent on 
uh, Monday night, depending on how that Chargers game goes. There was no, you know, reported closed-door meetings or anything this time after the largest collapse of team history. You know, there, there was no uh, big press availability with Jim Irsay after the game. It, just, it wasn't a big song and dance because the ego's already been crippled. The ego and the pride of this franchise has already been undercut by the performance of just even the last three games. So I don't think that matters anymore because at some point you do have to look in the mirror, evaluate your franchise like you mentioned and realized this ain't our year. And not even just to, this ain't our year to win. That's usually what you like to hear. But this ain't our year for the playoffs. This ain't our year for finding a quick fix for this team. This is the year just to get through the season. And you don't have to tank, PK. We joked about it last week. Keep doing what you're doing, man. You're fine. You're going to find the losses. They'll find you. Don't don't need to change anything if you don't want to. Uh, I think he'll be fine. 317-239-1070 if you'd like to join the show. Um, Jimmy, you make a good point that Jim Irsay is a businessman. If, if he's a businessman, and depending on how good of a businessman he is, shouldn't he realize by now that the money coming out of his pocket to pay the decisions that Ballard has made have not worked? I mean, Jim... Jim has to realize that you have the highest paid offensive line in football and you're starting two rookies and you just paid your left guard an insane amount of money when he has injuries. Look, if you have back and leg injuries as a guard, I had concerns, Jimmy, before they paid him. I have serious concerns about Ryan Kelly. $72 million for Braden Smith. I I get that Jim has complete trust. Trust. Chris Farley, air quotes. Sure. Maybe I'm not the norm, right? <laughs> right. right. It, Jim Irsay's got trust in Chris Ballard, but why should he have trust when the money that's coming out of Irsay's pocket is going straight towards suck? At some point, that has to matter. You have I, to. Yeah, I it, mean, it, it, you can only sign enough checks and be like, uh, uh, a, a group of parents can give their 21-year-old kid allowance and it keeps on disappearing and they're like and they keep on handing over cash you're like wait hold on something's not right yeah it's, it's at some point even if like we mentioned Jim Mercer is the type of owner that's willing to spend money at some point you're going to look at the results of that balance sheet and be like okay this is what I'm giving out and this is what we're but if that money's returned. going straight into the incinerator of your paying you might have to Jimmy you might have to pay 14 million dollars to tell Matt Ryan to beat it you and I are in the same boat on the mistakes that have happened here, which is that I would have axed Ballard weeks ago. And again, for those of, you know, I've got some texts and tweets about it as well. Like we're not sitting here advocating that like as the Colts, their mentality is going to tank. But as a fan, that that's what you're thinking is that you want this organization to finish this season, get over it, get as many losses as you can and then go out. But we're also acknowledging the fact that coaches don't operate that way. The players aren't operating that way. They're going to play to finish out and win these games. I'm by no means calling for them to tank. No organization in their mind would sit back and say, yeah, we're just going to sit and tank, except for, you know, the 76ers during that one stretch where it was clear and obvious that the, the in general, was the blueprint there was to tank. More often than not, that's not the strategy of teams. That's not what happens in the National Football League. They're fighting for jobs. They're fighting for lives. They're fighting for what their future is going to hold in this league. So we're by no means calling for the Colts to tank these final three games. But yeah, if I'm a fan that's sitting back and cares about draft stock, I'm not mad about it anymore because there's nothing left to play for. From a from a, from a a rooting perspective and from Jim Irsay's perspective, who's 
NFL life is not impacted by how these final three games go. He's going to be fine. He still has a position in the league as an owner. It's not as consequential as it was three weeks ago because the playoffs are basically off the table. Jimmy, you ever watch the Jetsons? Sure. You know the uh, the opening, like the music and stuff, and George Me Jetson. George? He's yeah, getting, yeah, sure, sure. I'm sure, George yeah, yeah. Jetson. Yep, he's, yep, yep, yep. he's he's handing money to the kids, <laughs> and then he he hands the money to Mrs. Jetson, and then she takes the wallet. Ballard and Ursay. Yeah, I mean, it's Ballard, so- you had to pay 25, he paid, tw- no, this was Ursay's decision, he paid $25 million to Andrew Luck as a goodbye present, and then, in your quarterback position, you had $25 more million to Rivers in 2020, you paid $20 million to Jacoby Brissett, so add that up, that's $70 million that was invested in the quarterback position, even before Ballard went to go do his inside-out stuff. A- at some point, when you are a construction worker, Jimmy. When you work in construction, if you keep on building buildings and it just doesn't hold up and the infrastructure keeps on getting torn down and after just a couple years, you have to realize, okay, maybe we should build this in a different way. But it's never gotten to that point with the organization and the way they try and build this team. Well, And that's why, again, I'm surprised that there has because any other organization that is as committed to winning as Jim Irsay says that he is, any other organization would have had a final straw with Chris Ballard at some point. That's why I'm so surprised that. And who knows? There's still three weeks in the off season. Maybe what we talked about last week, BK, doesn't matter. Maybe you don't need a general manager to have a year's worth of uh, of scout process and scout teams established for what you want to do in the draft. Maybe you can dive head first with. Four months to go between now and the draft, and establish a, a good big board. Maybe, maybe that is ease of access possibility. But it's a stressful situation. Whoever you put in as your next general manager, if they pass or if they part ways with Ballard, I just i I have a hard time as you observe everything the Colts have done from a decision making standpoint, and everything Jim Irsay has said publicly to this point prior to the Vikings game, believing or holding out hope they're going to make a change. I would have made a change on Ballard right when I made the change with Reich. Cut ties with both, rebuild and reestablish what the mantra of this organization is going to be. They haven't done that, and now it's anybody's guess as to what this front office is going to look like, let alone what this coaching staff is going to look like a year from now. As has been said a lot of times on this station, no matter what time slot, I, like I'm in, I'm in, I'm not in the business of people getting fired. I, I, I don't like when people lose their jobs. But Jimmy, when at the end of the day. And any business, construction, being a doctor, radio, coaching, whatever, if you don't do the things that you are paid to do, you should not be in the job that you're doing. It's as simple. You could be a teacher. You could be a professor in college. If your kids continue to fail, at some point, Jimmy, if principals look at a teacher's record and be like, wow, either this teacher gives the hardest test in the world or they just don't pass along the wisdom enough to their kids same thing either this gm has the worst luck in the world or his signings and his philosophy on how he builds football teams just does not resonate with the state of the league right now maybe someday the way that balor goes about his business will be the norm maybe that's been the norm in the past but you know what works right now jimmy Right now, what works is drafting a young quarterback, developing him, and in a matter of a couple years, if you have the right coach, it's going to work. That's 
you cannot continue to do the same thing over and over again. That's the philosophy you and I both subscribe to in terms of how we want to see this team built moving forward. Again, I'm not necessarily for the sake of taking a guy for the sake of taking a guy at quarterback because there's been countless organizations. Uh, the Bears have experienced this, this. The Browns have experienced this. The Commanders have experienced this. The Jets have experienced this. The list goes on and on of teams that have gone through quarterback after quarterback after quarterback. Again, we know as we sit here, there's no guarantee that if you draft a quarterback this year or whenever you do it, that he's going to pan out and be the next Aaron Rodgers, or that he's even going to be the next, I don't know, Jared Goff. Jared Goff's a starting quarterback. I'm not saying the Colts fans would clamor for that, but he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. There's a wide range of outcomes that a draft prospect could be, but you have tried year after year after year this same idea of the retread band-aid is going to fix this and finally bring us back to contention, and it hasn't worked yet. It has not worked for this regime, and if I'm a Colts fan... The idea of Boward coming back is is tough to stomach on one table, but on the other table is the idea that they don't take a quarterback this year and they try the retread route once again. I don't know. That's something that I could I could buy and subscribe to, BK. I just don't. And I guess I ask you. I've already shared where I'm at, and I don't want to speak for you on this. Are you in the same boat as me that you were as surprised that you know I thought maybe uh, Jim Mercy isn't always emotionally charged his decision-making. He'll have meetings and stuff, but the idea of firing somebody doesn't happen, right? Particularly mid-season. They're they're well-thought-out processes. They are, through his overall outlook on the team, it's not just done with a knee-jerk reaction. But based on the body of work that you're referencing, are you surprised that Ballard's here? And do you think that he is the GM they're bringing back in 2023? Tell you what, Jimmy, I'll give you my answer after the break. I will do that. We're coming back next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back. here on the Fan Midday Show alongside Brennan King. I am Jimmy Cook. I'd like to join the conversation. Still trying to air out your grievances and frustration with the state of the Colts. 317-239-1070. BK, I know we got a little bit of a short segment here as we await on the other side, top of the hour, the Dean Mike Chapel to give his thoughts on that debacle. I've been waiting to ask Chappie that question of where this game ranks because Chappie is the the senior statesman of all the senior statesmen that cover the and Colts. He's covered all, the man. team since it's been here. And I, I want to just know where, where he ranks this. In the same way we asked Greg Rigstraw where he would put the World Cup final for in terms of all-time great matches, I want to know where Chappie ranks Sunday in terms of all-time worst collapses. Obviously, it is the all-time game, but he's seen a ton of football. I'm interested to pen his brain. Uh, last segment, you and I were talking a little bit about uh, the current direction of the franchise, and, and we were all stressing points as to why at some point the money that's going out has to matter to Jim Irsay to make a change. I followed it up with you. Are you at all surprised that Ballard is still here? And based on everything that Jim Irsay said, even though he hasn't had a public appearance since the the Minnesota loss. Anything changed in your mind in regards to what the future holds as general manager? No, not surprised he's still here. I think it eats at Jim when he has to make a change. Because again, everybody in this league, everybody in the world has an ego. It just depends on how big it is and how much it controls them. I don't think Jim has an overly narcissistic ego because I think he's a good person. I think he has a good heart. But I think it eats at him 
when he has to admit that something he invested so much time and passion in. I mean, Jimmy, it, when this guy gets done with an hour-long press conference, it looks like he just got off the treadmill with with how much passion he puts in this. Sure. Okay? So when he has to fire a Chuck after what, what, what they went through together with having to name Bruce Arians interim and Chuck overcoming cancer, I think that ate at Jim, and he wanted this regime to work so bad. He wanted Frank to work. He wanted Frank to turn... Andrew Luck at the time into a Manning. Then he wanted to revitalize Philip Rivers' career. Then he trusted him on bringing in Carson Wentz. Then he thought Matt Ryan was the was the guy that was going to stir the drink finally. Unfortunately, it didn't work, and it probably pained him to fire Frank because he loved Frank. And I think Ballard is the one last thing he's clenching onto that this can just work. And Jimmy, with every week that goes by, it seemingly gets worse. And that clench of Ursay on Ballard is just slowly releasing by the minute before Black Monday in January when he's going to be gone. I just think it's something that you can't afford to gamble with. You, you can't afford to look at the rest of the league and get this draft wrong. I don't even mean at the quarterback position because if you if you take the shot and you miss, I mean that happens sometimes. I just listed all the teams off the top of my head that have had quarterback struggles since I've been alive. Right? It's a long list of teams. There's not every just shiny new Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Jalen Hurts out there. It, it takes time to develop. Even if the Colts get their guy, it's going to take a year or two, maybe more whether he's behind a starter or whether he is the actual starter right away, it's going to take time to make that decision. But at, all, at the end of the day, I guess you have to trust where Jim Irsay goes. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't put my faith in Chris Ballard for another draft. But if you do that, you have to understand not just the financials of it, but what is at stake for the long-term health of this franchise if you miss on another draft. Yes, Eddie? I don't see him getting rid of Ballard. You think he's coming back? Yep. Why? He- if you had any reservations on firing Ballard, you would have done it when you fired Frank. First of all, second of all, that's my fear. That was I agree, before I agree the biggest with, comeback in NFL I, history. I agree though. with Eddie. By but the way, but it's not on Ballard, is it? But somebody's got to be the scapegoat. Who are you going to scapegoat? I don't know. If, I mean, there's no one else to scapegoat. Matt Ryan, and he's already been scapegoated. I, I don't know. I don't think there is a scapegoat for what happened on Saturday. Like that's on the players. At the end of the day, you can't this, release the team, Eddie. I know. I'm not saying that you can't. And I'm not saying that you can't either. What I'm saying is the lack of execution came down to the players on Saturday. There is zero reason to blow a 33-0 to zero lead. Zero. And, and it was, I can't remember, it was 36-7 with seven minutes to go in the third quarter. And they s- somehow blow the lead. I just don't understand. I just don't see Ballard going anywhere because they're already paying Frank an additional $9 million over the next four years. For him to not be the head coach. Can you say that number again? Nine million dollars over the next four years that for Frank nice, Reich. Doesn't it? Thirty-six million dollars. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty. Is good. how much the Colts I think owe uh, Frank Reich for the next four years because they fired him. He didn't last out his contract. So then you're going to have to pay. I would assume but that's, something. That, that, that's not a real reason to me. And I and I don't. So, and I'm, hold on, I'm, hold on, hold on, I agree with your first here. point, but the money aspect. Jim Mercer last time I checked still has people for two jobs. You have to at some point admit that you messed up and you made the wrong call. And at some point, that means biting the bullet. Because, yes, he did mess up. They and shouldn't have gotten extensions. I think we're all in agreement of that. Nothing that they have done, nothing that they did over correct. that time span deserved the extension. So to, to, to Brendan's Correct. point, you need to look in the mirror and be like, but you I hear messed what, up. 
But you hear like out, you hear what Davis says out in Vegas. They can't fire McDaniel's because of the money that's caught up. But that's because they don't have money. <laughs> I that's find that really hard to believe. I, I, I don't at all. I don't. I don't. I don't. So I, you're telling me Jim Irsay has more money than I haven't looked at the sheets. But Jim Irsay's not running around sharing that kind of information. But I just don't. See, I don't see how Irsay can as a man of pride of himself sit there and pay four people for two jobs sometime you got to put pride and shove it at the door man i mean it's it's tough i agree but, but that to me would it not is a business it, it is but you don't keep burning holes into one position that continues to fail you at some point you have to bite the bullet except hey we gave this a good run i mean some gms their lifespan is only about four seasons like it's it's not like that Chris Bauer has not had a shot here. I'm willing to hear an excuse every now and again for maybe Reich chose this quarterback or maybe Ursay forced this quarterback on him. I'm willing to hear those to an extent, but he's had a large enough body of work here where at some point the money can't matter and hold you back unless you're in dire straits, at which point, and I feel the same way about the Davises, I understand this is disrespectful and blasphemy in some aspect, but if I'm a Raiders fan, I would be mad as all hell at the Davis family if they really don't have enough money to save us from the error of their ways that have plagued the Raiders the last two seasons. Now, we're going to take a quick break. We come back to Dean Mike Chapel of Fox 59 and CBS 4. We'll get Chappie's reaction for the largest collapse in NFL history, where he feels the pulse is in regards to Chris Boward's job security and what he's looking for these final three games of the season. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King have it for you here. 93.5-1075 The Fan. Chappie's next. Colts, day after Christmas, and the Chargers... We will welcome on our good pal Mike Chappell, Fox 59 and CBS 4. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. Mike, got to address the elephant in the room because we have not gotten your thoughts yet on what was the biggest comeback in NFL history. The floor is yours. No, it was the greatest collapse in NFL history. (laughs) Let's, Let's make sure we give credit where it's due. I've been doing this since 84 and they always say if you stick around long enough, you'll see everything. And that's so far, that's true. You think you've seen it all. And you think, well, I haven't seen that before. Uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's hard. You're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, this will be close at the end, but you just, you just can't lose this. You've done enough. There's not enough time. It reminded me of the uh, sort of the, Colts of Tampa Bay when they were trailed 34 to 15, uh, 34 to 35, 14, with like five minutes to play. And you're thinking you can't win this because there's not enough time. And they do. So, you know, shame on the Colts. I understand it helps their, their draft positioning. I understand that. But it's about winning now. It's got to be about winning now. And that's why you just have to step back and say, what are you guys doing? Chap, we want to clarify that a little bit. Me and BK have tried to hammer this point home. You know this as well as anybody because you've covered the league longer than anybody. You've covered the, the Colts longer than anybody in this town. Uh, obviously, me and BK are are, are are the are the young senators, so to speak. But we understand that this is a league where there's jobs on the line, livelihoods are on the line. Nobody's going out there and laying down like fans. And we can talk about how happy we are that the draft pick stock continues to rise. But... At the end of the day, this is still a performance-based league, and nobody's going to lay down because there might not be a future for you in this league if you do so. 
with that being said, you've mentioned you've seen almost everything now in this league and add that to it. Did it feel like they quit or did it feel like they were just broken by Minnesota in that second half? Broken, broken. I I mean, you know, there were times there were broken tackles and missed tackles and bad angles and all that. I, I just don't. I, I have seen very, very few games where a team you say, "Man, they just laid down and died. They just, they just quit." Because again, this is what these guys do. It's what the Forrest Butler and Stephon Gilmore and, and Ryan and all these guys do. This is, and they only play seventeen games. Right. I mean, it's it, it, it's it's not like baseball where it's one hundred and sixty some, and if you have a couple of off days or basketball. Or, or you work an eight, nine, nine to five job, and you know Thursday you don't feel like working as hard. You play seventeen games. Effort should never, ever, ever be an issue. And I don't think it was that. It, 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 was, it was one of those where it, it, you know the old snowball started going down the hill, and nobody could do anything to stop it. And, I, and I'm talking on offense too. You know, as as helpless as the defense was, and it was ridiculous, all the offense had to do is make a couple of plays. Nothing nothing great, nothing fantastic, no 80-yard touchdowns, but convert it fourth and inches. I mean, really, fourth and inches, and the game's over. So, And, and there were plays before that. Had they made that play, whatever it was, the game's over. So... You know, the only group I thought that was kind of had their hands in the year and said, hey, it wasn't us, was special teams. Because special teams played pretty well. They got kick returns. They got all that stuff. Field goals, make a play. They didn't do it. I, I don't think it was effort or quitting. It was simply not making, gosh, two or three plays on either side of the ball. And then we're saying, boy, they almost, you know, miss out on it. But, but they got away with the win. And that's when you don't make those two or three plays, this is what you get. Not to this magnitude because, you know, nobody had done this before. But when you don't make plays, bad things happen. Mike Chappell's on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Eddie, can you give us the uh, fourth quarter stat outscored over the last five games again? 83-9. to nine. Chap, is that because they're just being outplayed? Is that because the teams are better than them? What has led to such an outrageous fourth quarter differential? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it's crazy. And, you know, they've given up, what, three game-winning drives during that stretch as well. So, I don't know. I, if I had the answers, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd call her say and say, hey, for ten thousand dollars, I'll give you. I'll give you the answer to what your problems are, and and if they knew what they were, you know, they'd fix it too. So I don't know. It, it's it, again, it's making a stop defensively. It's crazy. I mean, they dominated, absolutely dominated the Vikings in the first half. I think the Vikings had like eighty-two yards, and it was like that in previous games as well. And it gets away from them, and when it gets away from them. They can't find a way to stop it. I was looking the last four the last four games. They've given up. Forget the forget the overtime. In the last four games, fourth quarter, which which amounts to a game, 
it's 517 yards and 77 points in, in a game. So that's just it, it's it's crazy because I think by and large this defense has played pretty well this year. I mean, really. So it, it, it's just it's just hard to figure out. And you know, until they fix it, it's going to be somewhere you scratch your head, and <laughs> they're quickly running out of time to fix it. The Dean Mike Chapel of Fox 59 and CBS 4, nice enough to take a few minutes with us here on The Fan via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline, themotorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as power equipment, snow blowers, tools, and so much more, motorshop.com and the Motor Shop and Fishers. You can follow Chap on Twitter at mchapel 51 and Chap up on fox59.com right now. You have a very fascinating story entitled Frank Reich has come back, record fell, quote, Wow, what's happening here? Uh, Chap, I greatly enjoyed that story, getting the former head coach of this organization not so long ago, as recently as last month, perspective on all this. Uh, to kind of go a positive note here, Chap, what does it say about just the the character, just the, the, the way that Frank Wright carries himself, that the first thing on his mind as that game was unfolding was not the ha-ha point at your former team, but it was passing the torch to Kirk Cousins for what was Frank Reich's top line of his football resume. But that's Frank. Right. I mean, everyone knows that. It, right. It, it, it's, what, what's too bad is when, when Frank was let go and even the games leading up to it, it was it, it, what, what people and the media and everybody tends to do is tear down a guy who's an awful play caller, which he's not. He's an expert play caller. But, yeah, it just shows you what he is and who he is. What was funny is uh, I was talking to him, and I said, because he was, again, he's unloading boxes, and he's still trying to get settled into North, his North Carolina home. He said he goes by the TV, and he sees that it's 33 to nothing. And I said, aren't you just thinking that, boy, this one's over, or they're not going to come back? He said, no. He said, every time in the last 30 years when someone's got a 33-point lead, what he defaults to is, hey, maybe my record gets broken. Uh, but what, what was what, what's the record? What, what was the stat that was 1,548 one and one teams with 30-point lead? Yep. And so so it, it just doesn't happen. But he felt, he felt for the players. He's very close to these guys. He still is, no question. But his point was that passing the torch, so to speak, to a Kirk Cousins, who is similarly faith-based like Frank is. and when you, One of the good things about the NFL is it gives you a platform. Not just that, but any of these players. You know, Dar- uh, Shaq Leonard or, or Larry Frank, any of these guys, and they use that they, they for whatever their cause is. And most of them have really, really good causes, and they go out of their way to support that and that's what Frank was saying is he's you know for 30 years he, he, he went to speaking engagements and he was and he was introduced as here's a guy who had the greatest comeback in college and the greatest comeback in the NFL and then he kind of can use that as a launching point to whatever his, his right. message is so but that that's Frank it doesn't surprise me and, you know he, he, he just has too much perspective and, and you know 
in emotions for this team to say, well, I'm glad, you know, look what they did to me. So that's what you get when you fire me. That wasn't even remotely right. what he was thinking. Chep, do you get the sense, as just a quick follow-up on Frank, do you get the sense that he wants to get back in it next year, or is he kind of happy with it just taking a break now? Oh, I think he may be to some level he likes this, this quick break, but he wants to get back in it. I remember talking to him a day or two after, maybe it was a day after he was fired. He wants to coach again. He's a coach. Now, now whether it'll be a head coach, whether it'll be as a coordinator, I don't, I don't think he would, he would settle, I guess is the word, for a, a quarterback coaching position. I, I think he's, he's beyond that. He wants to coach. It's what he does. Uh, he enjoys it. He, I remember talking to him when he was fired. He said, you know, he, he, what hurt him was he wanted to be able to finish what they started, and wherever it was going to go. So he wants to coach again. I think he will coach again. Chap, you mentioned on Twitter, obviously, like a lot of us did, when the initial news about Jonathan Taylor, that he had the high ankle issue and that there was unlikely for me and Rappaport he was going to be a part of the season the rest of the way. You tweeted, shut him down. And, of course, you clarified, not Ian, but uh, JT. Now that news is official, uh, what do you look at from this running back room just in terms of an observational standpoint and where the coaching staff should be kind of observing what that room looks like the final three weeks of the season, but also what the long-term goals are for for getting John and Taylor into a bounce-back campaign next year? Yeah, well, it's going to be Moss and Jackson. I mean, that's what right. you've got. A couple guys on the practice squad. Uh, so I don't think things will change. What, what changes is you, you don't have you're the, you don't have Jonathan Taylor. Right. And, you know, it, this has been a frustrating season, but he's still one of the top, gosh, what, three running backs in the league that if he were starting a team tomorrow running back-wise, he might be the guy he or he or Nick Chubb is who you're starting with. So, you know, he'll get back. And, and with the high ankle sprain, there was no way he was going to come back in three games. Yeah, And it would have made no sense anyway. He's fought this thing most of the season, and you play on it, and it feels pretty good, and then you – you know, you. This was more of a tweak. This is a, another high ankle sprain, so it, it just made sense that he's done for the season. And then you, you get him back next year, and goodness, you just don't know what next year's going to be with coaching staff and players, and you know the GM. You you just don't know. But at least you know you've got him. The question is going to be, and I think KB wrote about it today on on your side is. What do you do? Do you go ahead and extend him? Because next, you know, next off season generally is when you extend these guys. And I don't know how I, 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 the injury doesn't to me impact it at all. He's it's an ankle sprain. It's not an ACL. So he'll come back, and if nothing else, they're going to be motivated. I guess. I mean, you know, he's not a less of a player. He's not. He's still what he was last year. It's just circumstances around him made it very difficult, impossible to duplicate that. 
It's Mike Chappell on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Chap, yesterday, Stephen Holder was on with JMV, and Stephen did not say in any way that JT sat this year because of the injuries and wanting to put himself in a position to be paid, but he did bring up the thought that Taylor has never really missed practice or game in his high school, college, or pro career to that point, and it was, at the end of the day, his decision at times to not play due to the ankle, and Stephen brought up possibly it could be that JT knows the position he is and um, he's, he wants to get his money. So do you see any truth to that at all, that maybe it was financially related that Taylor did not risk further injury with the ankle at times? I, I, I guess, I, I guess, but if it's on an ankle sprain, it, that's two to four weeks anyway. I, so, I don't mean, I, I meant like earlier in the year. Oh, uh, I, I maybe, but I, I think if you, if, if, I always get the impression that if he was ready to play, he was going to play. I thought he came back maybe the the, the first time too soon. Uh, but I tell you, as a player, you've got to look after yourself. You do because, you know, I as bad as it sounds at some level, teams will will use you and then they will discard you. And that's probably more so at running back. As a running back, you've got to really maximize what you've got and understand that a lot. I remember back in the in, with Bill Polian, it was always the idea that running backs were like good for four or five years, and then you got another one, which is what he did with Edgerin. Uh so, so, yeah, I, I don't know if JT sat a game or whatever. He only, he only missed three games. Uh, practices, I don't worry about. I mean, a guy misses practice, I don't worry about that anymore. But I, I kind of thought the three games he missed were games that he just wasn't ready. I thought one was on a short week. So, but but again, it, it, at the bottom, the player does what's best for himself because the, the team, you know, the team's not going to put you out there and risk injury, further injury. But they want you out there more than they don't want you out there. So if I'm a player, I'm looking out for myself. And I'm looking out for, you know, later in the season. I'm looking out for next season. So, you know, other than that, I'm not sure what went into JT missing a couple of games other than it was a high ankle. Chap, we were having a discussion earlier regarding – Jim Irsay's extension of Bauer and Reich and the fact that even though you know Jim Irsay is obviously a very wealthy man, that sometimes looking at numbers and figures like that of where mistakes have been, it can be tough to bite the bullet and eat it. Uh, in your mind, regardless of what the decision ends up being with Bauer by the end of the season, is, is money anywhere a worry on Jim Irsay's mind? I mean that as in to say if a decision had to be made, is money an object in terms of admitting a mistake and moving on? You mean like getting rid of Chris Bauer? Yeah, yeah, for, yeah, in that example, yes. I'm not saying they're going to. Yeah. I'm just saying, would that prevent him from doing it? Probably not. I mean, but we're talking big money. What Frank gets, what was the report? Uh, $9 million a year over the next four years? Sure. That's. I mean, that's that's a lot of guitars. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but, I, but, but I think if Ursay decides that he's got to make a move at, at – general manager, he'll do it. And, and keep in mind that if he goes and, and really addresses the head coach and just say Jim Harbaugh. Right. 
Well, that's going to be expensive. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Expensive. So, but I, but I I think he'll find a way to make it work. Again, ha- having the cash has always been an issue with a small market team, even though you know Jim Irsay is very wealthy. That's that's big money, but I don't. I just don't think money will. I don't think he won't make a move because of money. Because to do that, you're you're impeding the progress of your franchise. He'll do what he has to do, and then figure out the money after that. Last thing I had for you, Chap, as we enter in uh, Monday Night Football day after Christmas, and we we close into these final three weeks of the season. From your perspective. What are you monitoring the most, or what's the important, the most important thing you need to see out of this team over these final three weeks? Uh, and where do you feel the front office and just the staff in general need to see the biggest improvements, regardless of if the playoffs are on the table or not? I'd like to see Bernard Ryman still make improvements. And I, I think he's played pretty well over the last, I don't know, month, whatever. I mean, he makes an occasional mistake, but. Watch watch games over during the week and left tackles, bunch of them making mistakes. So this isn't just Bernard. Uh, I, I'd like to see uh, what I want to see is what are they going to do at quarterback? Are they going to leave Ryan out there? Are they going to make a change? And can they just be competent on offense? And to this point, they've not been so just. Show something you haven't shown to this point, but why would we expect there to be something different now? I don't know. Mike Chappell's with us, talking all things Colts. Chap, appreciate the time. Hope you and the family have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Chap. You too, guys. See you, Chap. Mike Chappell's with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. For all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools, Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. I guess that is the question you guys were bringing up a couple segments ago. If you're already paying Frank $9 million for the next four years, Eddie, you brought up this point. I mean, do you want to pay four people for two different positions? Mr. Cook. I I agree with Eddie's aspect and Chappie's clarification there that, that it is a lot of money. And I don't think that anybody in this room, <laughs> we would have no idea what to do with that kind of money. So I get it. I understand that it's... It's not chump it's a lot of W twos, nine million bucks. It's a lot, a lot of W two, a lot of guitars, a lot of W twos, chap. But yeah, whatever, ever angle you want to go there. But to Chappie's underlying point, I don't believe the Colts are in a position yet as a franchise where, if the franchise's health is at stake, money is going to be a barrier for them. But I, I do agree with Eddie that it is a lot of money. I just I I think as Chappie kind of clarified there at the end, that's not that's not the state of this franchise to where they're going to let it hold them back. This isn't like, um, you know, a, a Power Five school that's underneath a big football contract they can't get out of. Like that's that's not what this is. This is it's a little bit more money over the long term, and it's a high end amount of mistakes that you're staring in the face. But you got to do what's best for the team at the end of the day, and I don't think money's a barrier with that, Eddie. What do you got? I mean, I, can, I understand both sides here, but it's like at the same time, like if you're thinking about, you know, cutting Matt Ryan, then that's another bigger bullet that you have to eat in terms of the cap. And the other aspect to this, too, is like if you do keep Chris Ballard around money aside, like he goes out and he hires a head coach. Let's say that he wants next thing you know, you fire Ballard 
a year or two later and it's like, okay, then you bring in another general manager and he has zero ties to the head coach and maybe the GM wants to get rid of that head coach. So I don't know. It is just a total mess that they have themselves in right now. That's what the Bears couldn't get right for about a decade because they'd bring on a coach, fire the GM, fire the coach, hire the GM. GM brings in coach. They fire both of them. New guys come along, fire the coach, GM stays. It's a a merry-go-round, guys. Unless you are bringing in a Hall of Fame-worthy head coach that is, you know, viewed as one of the brightest minds ever. Like if you're bringing in a, which you're not, I'm just using these names as an example. If you're bringing in a Bill Belichick or you're bringing in Andy Reid. Don Shula? Don Shula, yes. Any 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 era that you want to throw out there, I'm fine with. But barring that, it is a symbiotic relationship at times between the general manager and the head coach of successful operations. When you get down to the unsuccessful franchises or the franchises that have these culture wars or these issues where they're fighting over playing time and they're fighting over player X versus player Y. When you get into that territory, that is where you have organizations like the Bears over the years that are have continued to get that wrong. The Colts are in a very precarious spot right now where they can't afford for that to be the merry-go-round that surrounds this organization for the next five years. So either way, I'm fine. If you want to let Ballard choose your guy because you still believe in him, okay, that's fine. Go ahead and do that path. But if you don't do clean slate now and you gamble with Ballard again, then you're at the risk to your point, BK, of going over this merry-go-round of new coach with current GM, current GM gone, current coach with new GM. That's a cycle that you don't want to be a part of. At VJ Cook on Twitter, at BKing Sports, at Eddie Garrison underscore. We'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, ESPN NBA reporter Nick Friedel will be with us. The Phoenix Suns have a new owner. The Indiana Pacers hover around 500. Nick directly covers the Brooklyn Nets. And boy, the Pacers and Nets have had some times already this year together. We'll chat with Nick after the break on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We are going to get the scoop on the NBA. Eddie Garrison with the right tunes. We'll welcome on Nick Friedel, NBA reporter on a national level from ESPN. Nick covers the Brooklyn Nets. He's had some stops across the country. I grew up reading this stuff as a high schooler in the Chicago suburbs when he covered the Bulls. And Nick and I actually met when Lance Stevenson dropped 20 points in the first quarter against the Nets when I believe, Nick, that was the first time ever that Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie all played together. And then Lance drops 20 in the first quarter. Unreal. <laughs> what a moment to, uh, what a moment <laughs> to 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 have remembered and have us enjoyed buddy i mean i i look back at that game and i think that was my first road game covering the net full time <laughs> and it was the lance show uh, at least in the beginning so a lot has happened in between but it's good to be with you Good to be with you, Nick. Well, the story of the day, at least on the West Coast, Nick, the Phoenix Suns have a new owner, Matt Ishbia from Michigan State, who went to three Final Fours, won a national championship. Four billion bucks, Nick. What are your thoughts on the Suns going up for sale and having a new owner? All I could think when I saw that Woj tweet was all the own, the rest of the owners in the league just going, hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're seeing the Suns go for four billion, then I can only imagine what the top, top-tier teams in the league, the Warriors, the Knicks, the Nets, as I stand here right in front of Barclays Center at the moment, they've got to be 
just going nuts because the amount of money that is coming into the league, new TV deal is on the horizon here in the next year, year and a half or so. This is a really good time financially to be involved with the NBA. And I think this today with this news is just the latest example of that. Nick, it's not often that you see this happen in midseason, let alone with a team that is a true contender with the Suns. When you look at as this process gets finalized, does that impact any of the not just the day-to-day operations, but as we get closer to the deadline, if the Suns are a team, they're looking to add a piece as they continue pursuit of the Larry O'Brien trophy? I'm sure that it will have some kind of impact. Now, just how big remains to be seen, but guys, if if you're a Phoenix Suns fan right now, given uh, the ups and downs, mostly a lot of downs in, in the Sarver rain, if you see this news and you see that uh, the, the person who's coming in is worth billions upon billions, you've got to feel good because what any fan wants is for ownership to spend. And in this new era of the league, with the amount of money that is coming in, with the owners that have uh, purchased teams over the last decade or so, that's what this is. It's just who can spend the most, who can build the best team and back that up financially day after day, year after year. So I'm sure it will have some kind of impact, but if you're the son, especially in that locker room, you've got to feel good that the money will be spent when you need it to. Nick Friedel is with us, NBA reporter for ESPN, directly covering the Brooklyn Nets. Nick, here locally in Indy, the Nets and the Pacers have had some interesting times together this year. You think about the back-to-back in Brooklyn and Steve Nash being fired after a loss to the Pacers, then Nets getting Indiana back. Just your thoughts on what has been quite the interesting time for Brooklyn through the first, let's call it, two months of the season. I have lived it day to day, and I still can't fully believe that I've seen and heard all the things that have occurred. But specific to that series, guys, uh, and having just been in Indianapolis a few days ago, I can't believe Brooklyn won that game when they were sitting everybody, and and the Pacers couldn't find a way to pull that one out. But I will say this about the group, not only with Halliburton and, and what we've seen uh, in his development, but that team plays hard. Rick Carlisle historically has gotten his teams to play hard, but this team specifically, I mean, just watched them several times, obviously, in the last few weeks. They're a tough team. I like the way Matherin plays. I like the way that that group seems to be coming together behind the scenes. But as we know, if you play hard in the NBA every night, you're going to win a lot more games than people think just because a lot of these teams don't play hard every night. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they do kind of walk through uh, the game plans and go through the motions at times. And if you are a young team that has that type of culture that is set where you know what you're getting from the group every night, you're going to be in a good place. So I like the way that India is coming together. It remains to be seen, of course. As I know you guys talk about all the time what they're going to do with Miles Turner, what they're going to do with some of these other veteran pieces, which direction they're going to go. But when you have a team that is out there every night and you know what they're getting from an effort standpoint, usually that means you're in a pretty good place. Nick, as we shift back towards your neck of the woods with the Brooklyn Nets, I mean, you look at the last just – 
two seasons, let alone just the last six or eight months with all the ups and downs, the the, the, the everything with Kyrie, with KD demanding a trade, yet somehow here they are now into December and are a four seed right now. The East is so balanced to a point that a good run over any given stretch of the calendar is going to help you rise those ranks. How did we get here with Brooklyn, and how is it that things appear to be Sure, there's been some comebacks the last couple of matchups, but things appear to be smiles right now in Brooklyn. I think the reason why, at least in these last few weeks, with the way they've been playing, is because they have hit this very soft part of the schedule. And they're taking care of the teams that they need to take care of. And, and guys, that doesn't always happen <laughs> in the league for all the reasons we just outlined there uh, before. But uh, the Nets... The drama around this team was so bad two weeks ago with the Kyrie social media posts and the losses that had piled up early. With the focus being back on basketball for now, and with the fact that they've won games, everything is okay. Now, do I think that they're a championship-caliber team? No, I don't. One of the reasons why this group has the record that it has and it's won six straight and 10 of 11 is not only did the schedule get soft, but when you go back and look at the teams that they did play, those teams, a lot of them, were missing either one or two or three of their very key guys. And they took advantage of it. And that's a credit to, to Jacques Vaughn and the staff. And, and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have been awesome, especially KD, who's playing like the MVP. But I don't view what's happened with the Nets here over these last few weeks is a sign of what's to come. I think this team is still figuring out plenty of different things on a, on a variety of levels, and they're trying to uh, kind of make way with what they got in the moment, trying to work Ben Simmons back in. But this is a good team. I just don't think this is a championship-type team that we're going to be talking about later in the season. Nick, first, that New York traffic sounds brutal today, all those horns going on behind you. Uh, but sec- It never stops here, guys. I it can imagine. Crazy. I can imagine. But what are they missing, Nick? Is it something that they're missing on the court, or is it just the culture of what they have in that locker room just doesn't gel? I think the big part is that they just don't have the pieces that you would need to win consistently in the playoffs. Uh, and specifically – Look, Kevin Durant is still Kevin Durant. He's awesome. When Kyrie's on the floor and he's focused and locked in, he's still great. And I think Simmons is starting to find his way a little bit more, although uh, I'm still hesitant to think that he's going to get back to the level he was at in Philly night after night after night. The larger problem is when you go back towards the end of the roster or even in a potential playoff rotation – Let's look at a guy like Nick Claxton. He's the young big man that they signed over the summer, or I should say extended over the summer, and he's playing well. But if he gets into any kind of foul trouble, they don't have that extra guy that they're going to be able to lean on. They've used Simmons at that center spot. Maybe that could get you through uh, a half or or some minutes here or there, but they don't have that, that extra big man to turn to on top of the fact that I mean, you guys are obviously very familiar with T.J. Warren. He's still coming off a foot injury. Seth Curry and Joe Harris have had some good nights, but they're coming off serious ankle injuries in the last year. I just don't think the pieces are such that they're going to be able to find their way through the course of two months of the postseason. But 
If I've learned anything covering this team, it's that anything <laughs> truly is possible. And when you have Kevin Durant playing at the level that he's playing at, we all know that there is no team in the league that's going to want to see them if and when the time comes in the playoffs. Nick, I know you mentioned that you've got an opportunity covering the Nets to see a lot of the Pacers over the last month or so. When you look at the national pulse on this Indiana team, you mentioned it's up in the air what they're going to do at the deadline, particularly with Miles Turner. But you look at the young pieces they have, guys like Andrew Nemhard, Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin. Well, what is the, the national impression of where the Pacers are at and what they're trying to build over at Gambridge Fieldhouse? Uh, the biggest thing is that good times are ahead. And when you have the type of pieces in place that they do, and you have Carlisle who has won at the highest level and he knows how he wants to build the team, I think the future is bright. And certainly in the first couple months of this season, I don't think anybody expected to see the Pacers winning some of the games that they've already won to date. So it all depends on first and foremost health, but continuing to build through the draft. And, and again, we're going to see which lane they, they go through. I mean, I feel like, guys, we've been talking about Miles Turner and where he may land for like two or three years. Yeah, yes. Like every year, is Miles Turner going to stay? Or you know, what kind of draft picks are coming back in return? And where is he going to land? We're finally maybe going to find out that question. But as far as those younger pieces, especially Mather, and I, I just like the way that, that he approaches things. I think that was a really solid pick. But it's like everything else. You can have some solid pieces in place, but you've got to fill out the rest of your rotation and feel good about where it's going. If you're a Pacers fan right now, though, you've got to feel good about the future uh, and the possibilities there, especially with the way uh, that, that Halliburton has developed, uh, at least in these last couple of years. So uh, everything is still a question mark, as it always is, when you're kind of on the fringe and building your way through to another era, but having just watched them a lot, I like what I see from the Pacers, and I think there are a lot of good days in their future ahead. Nick, last thing on the Pacers, again, as Jimmy just said, from a national perspective, what's the story that you guys think on Kevin Pritchard and his ability to make these trades and now draft well over the last couple of years? Because he had to pull off the Paul George trade. He had to pull off the Victor Oladipo trade. Then he pulled off getting Tyrese Halliburton from the Kings for Sabonis at really maybe the most sell-high point that you could on Sabonis. Just what have you thought about Pritchard pairing those trades that have led up you know, five years to now these draft picks that are starting to hit? The, the track record's there. I mean, that when you're trying to build a team and you're looking at different teams across the league, and certainly I, I see the Pacers on a, a regular basis, but I'm not following it day to day. But with what Pritchard has done, you've got to have faith that he has the ability to make things work. And when you start hitting on some of these trades, and even more importantly, guys, as we know, when you're hitting on the picks, <laughs> there is nothing that gives a fan base and an organization in the NBA more leeway than when you start hitting on these draft picks consistently. When that happens and you're finding different players at, at, at different points in, in the draft and then you've got other teams going, hey, uh, you know, what would it take to get this guy? That's when you know that the front office structure that is there uh, is sound. And if you're Pritchard and, and you've, you've done this before and you've started to hit 
with the pieces that you have on this roster, again, it's positive. And if you're a Pacers fan, I know that there have been some some dark days and they've been off the radar here for a while, especially since after George left. But when you see it coming together again and you see that, you know, you've got control of, of what happens in these next couple deals, especially if, if Turner ends up getting you some more picks down the line, I would feel good about where they're going and I would feel like the structure that has been put in place already would lead me to believe that they're not going to mess things up in the future. Nick Friedel from ESPN with us. Nick, last thing, as I said, you were a longtime ESPN Chicago guy. Read your stuff in high school on the Bulls and D Rose and everything. So, being in Chicago for as long as you were, what ended up being your favorite pizza spot in Chicago? <laughs> Big questions. I was a Pequod's guy. Ah, I, great choice. I liked Pequod's. I, I was never one for all the deep dish, and I know. My friends back in Chicago were like, oh, come on. You know, everybody had their own place. But I did not like the the casserole pizza that, <laughs> that would come out of there sometimes. I just like the the plain old cheese slices or some sausage sometimes. And Pequod's is always the right place for me. Pequod's a good spot. If you are going to go deep dish, though, I'm a personally a Lou Malnati's yeah. guy. I don't, I don't think he could go wrong there. But Nick Friedel, ESPN NBA reporter. Appreciate the time, my man. We'll look forward to seeing you back in Indy soon. You got it. Thanks for having me, guys. Nick Friedel with us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. A good dude. And again, him and I watched the Lance game. Well, the Lance quarter, that is. 20 in the first quarter in the first game that KD, James Harden, and Kyrie ever played together. And Lance went off. Was that that game? It was magical. You were there? Yes, yeah. I was. It was absolutely unreal. Eddie, you're probably producing that game, right? So I remember Mark Boyle's call of like... Are you serious? You know, when he hit that last three? He's like, are you kidding me? Yeah, or he was yeah, like, are you, uh, or stop the madness. Stop the madness. <laughs> stop the like ma- that. Stop the madness. Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, and Eddie Garrison, thanks to Nick Friedel. We'll come back, hit you with some bets, and close out the day on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Thank you to Peter Hood, Casey Vallier, Nick Friedel, and Mike Chappell for some good stuff this afternoon. Yeah, I would literally get to high school in the morning and read Friedel's piece on the Bulls from the night before. So that was cool. Good to chat with Nick and awesome to meet him whenever he is in Indianapolis. He is a good dude, excellent writer, and obviously his stuff really started to burst off a little bit when the Kyrie stuff was going on. He was right in the middle of that. So when he says he has lived that every day, that guy is not lying. BK, Jay Cook, Eddie Garrison, we are ice cold. Jimmy, win us some money. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. So to start off the evening, Grizzlies on the road in Denver. Going to take Memphis to the money line against the Nuggets. And switching gears, I think I figured it out. I figured out why we're cold. Because we've been disrespectful to bowl season. So we're getting in on the action tonight. I'm taking San Jose State to the money line over Eastern Michigan in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, and also taking Toledo to win on the money line over Liberty in the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl. That's right. It's bowl season, baby. 0-2 yesterday, 0-2 on the week. Plays on Twitter at the Jake Cook. Eddie, any action for you tonight? Whoa, you're changing it up, I see. Uh, no action for me tonight. I'm just going to take it easy. Boo. I'm in a little bit of a run again, but... Uh... 
I know it's a boo, but look at the NBA slate. Utah, Detroit. I mean, the NBA slate's not good tonight. That's kind of where See, I... See, I may suck, theme... but I'll come back with picks for the people. Respect it. Uh, Let's see if I find one. Hold on. Say, really it was that Boca Raton? Yep. Said? We got Del that. Boca Vista! Indeed. Uh, I'm going to take the over six in the New Jersey Devils, Carolina Hurricanes game. Devils are 21-8. and eight. Canes are 19-6. and six. Devils have been held under two goals or under for three straight games. They're one of the most potent offenses in the NHL. Carolina can score with the best of them. I like the over six. You can get that for plus money. Love it. Uh, additionally, we had uh, my good friend Peter Hood on the top of the show. Uh, he's a big underbetter, particularly in bowl games. So if you're into that kind of thing, I'm not saying I'm stamping that. Life's too short, Jimmy. Those two games. Life's too short I, to bet the that, under. That's my mentality too, BK, but... Money is money, and if you can make it somewhere, I do enjoy money. I don't, I don't hate again. going the under every now and again. I do enjoy money every now and again. Uh, it's official now, at least from uh, the likes of Zach Kiefer, Adam Schefter, uh, Ian Rapoport, John Taylor on the IR, so his season is done. BK, we talked about it throughout the show. Uh, we had Mike Chapel, Casey Vallier to talk about it as well. It doesn't really change anything for me about the direction of this team. I would be looking at future odds as we start to open up those things into May and June of a nice bounce back campaign for Jonathan Taylor next year, assuming that they go that route, which brings me to my next question, Brendan. And this is stuff that we'll kind of dive into as we get further along towards the off season, but it's going to be talking about Pacers big decision time with Miles Turner. It's going to be decision time for the Colts to some extent with Jonathan Taylor. A lot of trends tend to be that, when you're about a year or so out, you make that extension offer. Of course, you can always bring the tag into play if you want it as we get closer to free agency, but Colts can have decisions with their star running back in a league that, historically speaking, I love Jonathan Taylor. I think he's a phenomenal running back, but historically speaking, paying running backs big money in today's NFL does not end well. Well, eventually Jonathan Taylor is going to get to be the same age as Ezekiel Elliott, and Ezekiel Elliott really, probably my next year, he's going to be ousted by Tony Pollard, yep. at least seems like. And that's just the business of running backs in the NFL. The problem is, I don't think the Colts have a Tony Pollard waiting as of now. Zach Moss, to me, is not going to be a Tony Pollard. Naeem Hines is relatively the same age as JT. You already paid Hines before you traded him. So, to me, I think it's something maybe you don't like to do it. Kind of got to do it. In a way, I mean... What, what are you supposed to do? The other side of the coin is if this is really a full rebuild and you're going to get a quarterback this offseason, then if the offer's right and you get more draft capital... You're saying trade him. I'm saying that running backs are a dime a dozen no, no, in today's I'm, NFL, sorry, so I'm yes, not saying I would trade him. Okay, yes, okay. yes, I am saying I, I am saying I would trade him. Yes. I'm not the only one that's he, had that take. I think, I don't want to misquote him, but I believe, and I could have heard this wrong, that Jake had a similar, at least uh, Jake Query had a similar... Uh, prognostication of it or a theory of that it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Do you have to use a big word to make that Jake? move? <laughs> I, I, don't I think that's why it took him a minute to figure out what word he yeah. wanted to use there. He's like, okay, where, where in my thesaurus can I use prognostication? Where, I where is Jake's vocabulary and where can I put it in and my... Where's your out of field like vernacular. Ref, uh, some random reference that he could make? You know, we just need to, we, I, it, For a rule, we're done in two minutes. We can only use words that have 13 <laughs> letters or more for the rest of the show. Uh, no, I I think 
you should take a look at every avenue. If you're not doing that as a GM, if you're not doing that in life, you're, you're doing something wrong. If you're not looking at all your no options. No stone unturned, agreed. Yeah, right. But in a way, it, if you don't want to have potentially Justin Fields 2.0 and, and potentially injure your new crown jewel, I think you'd be doing him a serious disservice, Jimmy, if you do not give him every avenue and every wavelength to compete. And if you hand your brand new shiny quarterback, Zach Moss, you might be in trouble. And to clarify, my answer wouldn't be Zach Moss. My answer would be fourth round draft pick insert here or veteran on the free agency pool because okay. they just are. I don't. I don't disagree. That's just my aspect uh, of it. Uh, if I'm, I, I'm not well, a play a, a Zach Moss ask player. I mean, because in in free agency, you probably would go find a Zach Mossish type player, right? Unless you had somebody else in mind. I've looked at the market. Something we can look at tomorrow, but. Um, so I don't feel comfortable with that answer, but yeah, it would just depend on and, what's there. And plus a fourth, I might trot Deion Jackson out there rather than a fourth round pick, rookie. Yeah, I mean, I, it, that isn't an avenue that I'm necessarily against, but again, the larger issue is, and why Tony Pollard's been so successful too, is the Cowboys have figured out their offensive line. The Colts need to clean that up. That's a large reason why Jonathan Taylor, in my mind, stepped back this year. I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. Great day today on The Fan. I want to thank Peter Hood for taking time with us of Wish TV. Casey Vallier, the Colts Radio Network. Nick Friedel of ESPN. The Dean, Mike Chappell of Fox 9 and CBS 4. Tomorrow, ESPN's Ryan Rucco going to join us. Give us a preview of NBA Christmas Day action. Talk more where the Pacers are at in the national conversation. Brennan King and Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. We'll talk to you tomorrow. John's next. Stay right here.